On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are going full Dan Brown with the lost symbol on Sky Max. We're on the trail of a serial killer with Do Gray Scott in Crime on BritBox, and we are celebrating our long-standing love of animation with Netflix <laughs> as they take on a live-action adaptation of anime royalty Cowboy Bebop. But that is not all, because not only will we be watching BritBox's Crime this week, we'll also be talking about it with star Do Gray Scott and writer Irvin Welsh, who stopped by the pod to talk with Beth. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that made a number of promises at the end of last week, but we are able to deliver on absolutely none of them. Because firstly, Amazon's long-awaited adaptation of The Wheel of Time airs this week, and I've seen the first six episodes. However, it's embargoed until Tuesday evening, which is absolute trollocks. So there will be no talk. Trollocs! See, Boyd, have you not watched it yet? No, I've watched it. Well, see, it, now but... you don't know what a trollic is because oh, you haven't watched yeah, it. For God's sake. What I did there, Boyd, was a very I clever thought... pun. Oh, that, I thought it sounded like a, like something from the two Ronnies in 1976. No, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's not a punchline. Good it's time. a Ronnie Corbett punchline. That's what it is. No, but they're, that's... they're sort of bestial, sort, oh. of, sort of chimera beast men. Hey, I've fallen into your trap. You have. <laughs> so now I can spend 10 minutes describing trollocs yeah. to you and how they yeah. are tools okay. of the dark one. Oh, I need to watch this shit. And are often accompanied by the eyeless or fades or half men, depending on who you are. really fallen for this. You You have. Idiot. So, so we can't review that, unfortunately. There'll be no talk of Ice and I or any of that stuff uh, because uh, we can't. So much to my immense disappointment. But also, also to my great disappointment, season four of Star Trek Discovery airs in the US this week. And we should, of course, be looking forward to a simultaneous release here in the UK on Netflix. Except <laughs> it seems to have vanished. We did not get any screeners. That in itself is a little bit odd. And then some people on Twitter were like, have you noticed how Netflix haven't even mentioned the Star Trek Discovery now starts next week? So I asked Netflix, and there is no confirmed broadcast date for Star Trek Discovery, despite the fact that it airs this week, as in as we go out this week on in the US. Oh, that's annoying, because I have previewed it in Heat Magazine. Well, so, uh, that's that's well you have lied, you have lied to your... Readers, I mean, the reason Christ. behind all this was I did a blood pact with Satan. I believe and, you. With uh, Shaitan. You mean Shaitan, the dark one no, from the Wheel I mean of Time? Satan, my Satan. Right. Um, and that's why there's no release dates. Everything's dis- disappeared. An a embargo that makes no sense. We yeah. had a, I had a word with the with the man downstairs. God, you're evil, aren't you? Yeah. Evil, evil anti-Star Trek. Am I evil? Am I evil of denying the public? Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. I like, I like the, my favourite thing about the because we had a discussion a little about this on the your WhatsApp group, and and you refer to it, James, as Star Trek Disco, yeah. which is my <laughs> which, every time I see that, I love it. I want, I now want the Star Trek Disco. Yeah. Disco spin yeah. off. There the was confusion when I was being recommended a, an episode to watch, and people kept saying Star Trek Disco, and I was like, <laughs> why did neither of them bring this up? This is exactly <laughs> my a Star shit. Trek Disco. Love yes, it. there is. Uh, except not on Netflix, and not this week. I don't know what's going on. Netflix are being a bit. Did you demand an explanation? Well, I said to them. I said, I said, you know, other screeners. Oh, I'm afraid we, you know, we don't have access to screeners at this time. And I was like, okay. And I was like, is it airing next week? And they're like, we currently have no confirmed air date. And that was all like, wow, got. That's, this is chilling. So we don't Chilled know what's happening. So, so like, you know, there's conspiracy theories abound. Like people saying, have Netflix lost the rights yeah, yeah. to Star Trek? I don't know. Or just not paid more for the right. Has it been catapulted into the 29th century? Entirely possible. So in America, it's on Paramount. It is on Paramount Plus that was CBS All Access. Right. So it's presumably on CBS on as well, Plus. but it's on Paramount Plus. Yeah. So yeah. it starts on Paramount Plus in the US this week. Yeah. And I think Paramount Plus is coming to the UK at some point. So maybe it's something to do, do with that. Do you think that. actually maybe Netflix no longer do? 
have the rights. Well, it's possible, isn't it? That seems weird. Yeah. Like, they clearly don't. It's an mysterious. ominous answer to give yeah. instead of one being of... like, no, it's not out this week. It's going to be out this week instead. The fact that they can't give you a solid answer. Uh, yeah. One of our one of our followers is definitely going to message me telling me that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about about this, by the way. But just to, you know, just to make it clear, no, I don't. No, well, none of us do because we don't have the information. We don't know what's happening. Yeah, but needless to say, it's utterly ruined this week's show for me because (laughs) I can't talk about or watch Discovery, and I can't talk about the Wheel of Time because Amazon are refusing to let me. So there's a a sort of a distinct lack of 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 nerdy James stuff this week, which I'm saying is very bad for me. But of course, undoubtedly, a delightful turn of events for you two, TV's Boyd Hilton and Pilot's resident animation enthusiast (laughs) Beth Webb. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I have a big glug of water. Actually, I wasn't prepared. A big glug of water. A big glug of water to get me to get me all ready for. And you did run here, to be fair. Mm. Right? So Beth, <laughs> Beth was like, "So we're we doing this at three? It's like we have never done the podcast at three, but sure, why not? <laughs> no, Beth, we're doing this at two. <sighs> and you're like, "Oh, I'm in the West End." Yeah, I had to. Do, I've described it as a rom com run. So like, shut everything. It's like when Harry, it's New Year's Eve. Harry's decided he can't live without Sally, and he's bombing it down Fifth Avenue or wherever the fuck he is. Only it's me. And Camden when, when nobody walks with purpose. When Beth met Bellens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that is a hundred percent this rom com. Yeah. Oh, I love it. But yeah, no, it's completely on me. It, it, yeah, I, I can only apologize. But it was I have definitely paid in sweat and embarrassing myself by running through London like well, a Reese Witherspoon type <laughs> character. Well, I commuted in from Leeds this morning. This is where I've been. Oh, yeah. You've been holding forth to your acolytes. I have, yeah. So so <laughs> at Leeds Trinity University they're having a broadcast media week, a sort of media week of they had lots of journalists and me. Uh, in store and Terry who let's be honest was clearly my support act did the day before and then I did the day after leading on from Terry and she left a question with the audience asked them to ask me when I got there I'm sure you can guess what that why are you such a massive bellend uh, so that. you got that, that accent down to a oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's exactly I mean you only worked with her for I mean, six years but... speaking of accents I did have an instant I was actually texting Terry from my Uber um, from, from Leeds Street, which was actually quite out of, of Leeds going into Leeds Central Station and I was texting her I said I, you know, I've got a problem I said I'm in this, this Uber and the guy driving it whose name was Darren had the thickest Yorkshire accent I've ever encountered just ever encountered and add to that the fact he had a mask on so I couldn't see his lips and he kept talking to me as one sometimes does you know in an Uber world and I couldn't understand a single word <laughs> oh this is great and, I love this but it was the thing was so I laughed politely could you the speak first slightly time. clearer what, do you young, know what I mean so my it dear was, sir. and I was texting Terry I don't know what to do like well, what do you say because like you can politely laugh a couple of times but I mean maybe something something really serious and I shouldn't be laughing <laughs> I thought you were texting her to get her to translate. Like, I mean, like, well, brilliant. She said to yeah. me, she's like, oh, for fuck's sake. She's like, it's, you know, he's from Leeds. It's not another language. And I'm like, but if it had been another language, you can use Google Translate. There is no Northern Translator on my phone. Like, oh there was no God. way for me As to... As if you're complaining like, about this. You know the, the, the I'm Alan Partridge thing with the Geordie bloke who works in the hotel? Oh That's basically God. what yeah. it was. And yeah. I'm just looking at him going, I just don't even know what you're saying to me at <laughs> all. An Alan Partridge shrug. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was an Alan Partridge shrug at me from the back seat. It was excruciating. So, so Darren, all I can do is apologise. <laughs> Whatever you were saying to me, I don't know what Darren, it was. If you're listening, get in touch. <laughs> and if your side of this anecdote, if my response sake. was inappropriate, I, 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 all I can do really is apologise. Brilliant to, oh. to you and indeed the whole of Leeds. Um, but yes, no, we had a giggle. I had a giggle at uh, uh, Leeds Trinity uh, as as following on from from our our own Terry White. 
Did you come up with the name of the, the seminar? Because that is sheer David Brand. No, I did not. Oh, that's that was, brilliant. That was not me at all. I was like, if he's come up with it, that's the most David <laughs> Brand thing I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. No. Did you have hordes of diehards queuing to have like to touch the hem of your garment or no, a signed I, I copy mean, of Star Trek, something or other? Hordes might be an overstatement. Hordes, there was maybe the one there was definitely at least one chap there who listened to the <laughs> one podcast. Chap. One uh, chap. which was which was great. Thanks, chap. But uh, one of one of the students there. But so no, it was lovely. Oh, I, yeah, I, I yeah, thought it was brilliant. fun. It was, it was a, a good time was had by all. Well, by me. I don't know. Can't really speak for the audience. Well, that's the main thing. As long as you had a good time, yeah. that is the main thing. I, I thought it was. I thought yeah. it was quite fun. But what have you guys been up to? You know, <laughs> presumably watching things. Let's hope. Yep. Yes. Uh, okay. I will. I want to mention Doctor Who, which we keep. We're in this process now where I get to see it um, just before it goes out on air. So. By the time this podcast comes out on Monday, episode three will have gone out. And I had a little bit of a moment where I suddenly realised, um, I think in the middle of episode two, that this series of six episodes is a bit like, it, what it's reminding me of is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Ooh. Yeah. You know how if ra- ra- Raiders, I, pref- I think Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is the best. I do. Well, well yeah. you're both wrong because it's Last Crusade. No. Right. No, I think it's better than Last Crusade. But the reason why is, I remember going to the cinema to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and the Temple of Doom, sorry. and um. I could, I'd never seen a film that was relentless in its pace and action and just f- the full throttleness of it. It's so uncompromising in it, in the, in that um, in that pace and in kind of nonstop action. Obviously, there are, there are li- there are tiny little moments of no time for love, where, Doctor Jones, where you have a little bit of a pause for breath. But this series of Doctor Who is like that. It's not pausing for breath. The the, the sheer relentlessness of it is extraordinary. It's epicness you know pretty much every sequence is huge big gigantic there are swarms of armies fighting each other in the crimean war there's i mean you know i went on about it but when i watched episode one but it's it's keeping i think everyone went oh a lot of people weren't on twitter going oh we love episode one it's a real like and and he's very good at episode ones um uh the writer chris chibnall you know but we'll see how it plays out but he's kept up that pace it's just quite astonishing and he's going to keep it up for all six episodes so I am really, really enjoying it. I think it's really played up to his strengths. Is it just six episodes? Yeah. Is it always six episodes? No, no, no. This is so. This, yeah. So partly due to COVID, partly due to this being his last series and Jodie's last series, they decided to. I think what they decided to do in the end was, I think mainly due to COVID, is it's usually like ten or whatever. Hmm. They've gone well. Why don't we really focus everything on these six and make them phenomenal? There's three more specials after this. Um, but yeah. this this actual series, this kind of self-contained one story, but, but a story made up of loads of other mini stories, if you like, but it's got one big arc. Um, is is unique, yeah. It's, it's, it's the it's the first time I've done this in 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 New Who, anyway. Um, and it, it's working, it's working because the, the 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 episodes are so densely packed. They're really you almost don't notice, you know, half loads and loads of things are happening, revelations are happening before your eyes. So I'm really enjoying. It. And Craig Parkinson pops up in episode three, and we love Craig Parkinson. We do. From Live Duty, etc. has his own fantastic podcast, of course. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention was In My Skin, which I can't remember whether we reviewed series one or not. Probably not. I pro- don't do you remember? Think I still so. got people tweeting about this. It is. So it's, we should have reviewed it on the show, but it yeah. was a busy week. I th- hopefully, I may not have even mentioned it in, in other stuff because there was one week where I forgot to have my other stuff list. <laughs> Famously, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember, but. I've been watching it. It's all on iPlayer, or it goes out on BBC, I think, Friday nights after Graham Norton, I think. But it is a fantastic. Um, it's a dark comedy slash drama. I mean, it's one, of, you know, it's one of those things where who cares what the fuck it is? It's, it's just brilliant. Katie Llewellyn um, wrote it, created it. 
Um, it stars Gabrielle Creevy as um, the main character who is a, a teenage girl at school. Um, she's got her two best mates. And the big, the initial idea of it was that, you know, that very common thing that does happen where people, particularly kids of that age, teenagers, are ashamed of the reality of their family life. So her, the reality of her family life is that her mother is bipolar and is often in and out of institutions or whatever. Her dad is, ba- is basically abusive. He's a horrendous bully coercive control of that and, and 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 abusive and is is awful and instead of letting her classmates particularly know any kind of the truth of that she kind of makes up this kind of glamorous version of her home life so she gets very embarrassed whenever her actual mum pops up and um, what she does certainly in, in episode one for example joe hartley plays on joe hartley who's brilliant um yeah she's fantastic um and it's ju- and and in this series particularly, um, season series two, it's also a big lesbian teen romance, which is not a thing you see often enough on TV. And it's so beautifully handled um, uh, by the writer; it's 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 absolutely fantastic. So, Kaylee Wenning, she's it's even. I really like series one. It is a, it, it, for for the for the James Dyes of this world. <laughs> it is one of those things that is tough. It's a tough watch at times. You can't soft it because it because it deals with the brutal reality of her home life, as well as having brilliant moments of lovely romance between between her and this new uh, and the new girl who arrives in in series two. But but also Cam. So Rebecca Murrell plays Cam, who's the who's the romantic her romantic interest in series two, but. Apart from those moments which are difficult to watch with the home life, but absolutely real, the dialogue is so clever and funny and and believable um, that I think it's a real, it's a, just a brilliant show. So I think it's one of those shows that is so good that even though there are moments that are tough, it's fine. You can deal with it because it's there's there's another brilliant scene around the corner that is kind of lovely, warm, wonderful, as well as it being very grittily realistic. So I'm I'm a huge. Um, it's a really really top level show in my skin. Yeah. We should have reviewed it. Um, probably, I probably didn't because I was right. Jones couldn't take it. But fuck that. <laughs> okay. Um, what have I been watching? Did you? This started a few years ago, but I've only just discovered it. The other two. Again, yes. I'm just pivoting to Boyd yes. here. The American Show. The American Show. Did yeah. you review it on the pilot? No, we never reviewed it. Um, it kind of sneaked onto E4, I think. It's on. So it's all on all four. It's all on all four, right. It was spoken about on a podcast I listened to, and I decided to check it out because it's two writers I really like from SNL, Sarah Schneider and Chris Kelly. And the concept really hooked me. So it's about... Um, two older siblings to a kind of Justin Bieber star on the rise and they're two essentially fuck ups who um, one is trying to be an actor the other is a sort of deadbeat dancer who's in real estate and it's about them kind of managing with their teenage brothers rising fame while they're essentially trying to afford things like rent and food and you know have some level of self-respect um and it's really really fucking funny it shows a lot of it's uh lorne michaels is exec produced it so it's got a really strong comedic team behind it great performance i haven't really seen much of before but they're really funny molly shannon is in it as their mom and this kind of almost like dance mom with a heart of gold, if such a thing even exists. Uh, so the whole first season of that is on all four at the moment. And then also on all four, I'm going back and re-watching a lot of my shows of the year. And so I've been watching We Are Lady Parts, which was an mm-hmm. amazing um, new project about a, uh, her name is Amina. Um, and she is, uh, she joins a Muslim punk band or girl band. And it's absolutely brilliant very much my vibe very mtv2 in the early noughties kind of music very fun lots of good young energy uh 
yeah, that's been me this week. Oh, and uh, I'm up to episode four of Show Trial. And I love mm. it. Oh, you're yeah. further ahead than me, actually. I'm halfway through. Oh, really? Yeah. So I am ahead of all of you. Oh, yeah. Have you finished because, it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, had a, I've had a thrilling week this oh, week. Wow. I went through the tower and I went through Show Trial oh, and wow. I enjoyed both of them enormously. Um, for very different reasons. Show trial, I think, is just is just so good. Like, really? it's, a, it's funny yeah, someone okay. tweeted to say that they weren't having any of it. Yeah, a couple of but, people have said yeah. that. Yeah. So I think it kind of has polarized people a bit. But again, I, I I think both of those shows do very interesting things with viewer sympathies. Um, and that they manipulate you all the way through. So obviously with this one, Talitha, the excellently named Talitha, you <laughs> hate her and you're very much on the side of the investigating police officer during episode one, and then it pulls your sympathies yeah, this way and yeah. that way, and then you start to sort of reverse that, and then you're not sure. So it does a very good job of, I think, toying with your expectations, your prejudices, and all these various things uh, as that goes on. I, I thought it was great. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I'm starting to see Talitha as like a family member in that I don't like her, but I love her. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I'm very, I've, I've been completely pulled in. You're completely right. And I think that the the policemen are completely judgmental and quite awful at this stage and I'm sort of standing next to her like I wouldn't you know lay down my life for her but I'm very much with her on her side at the moment and it is a wonderful performance as well and both of these shows do quite interesting things in the way they portray the police Mm -hmm. so show trial is very much about confirmation bias and about how they'd made up their mind what the narrative was and then they were almost determined to make the facts fit the narrative they'd constructed and Almost nothing was going to deviate them from that because they just decided this is what had happened and they weren't prepared to entertain any other possibilities. This is not a spoiler. I'm not saying how it ends or whether that's true or not. But, you, you, I mean, you get very early on that they're unwilling to kind of look outside what they've decided. And then The Tower, again, is another one where it, you know, it definitely doesn't portray the police as being squeaky clean. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, at all. But equally, it's not overt in its condemnation either. And I think that's what really interests me about The Tower, that, you know, you have Gemma Whelan's character who on the one hand is clearly the protagonist and you're very much in her camp, but on the other hand has this slightly Javert-esque <laughs> rigidity to her thinking. Like, everything with her is very black and white. And, you know, they show us interesting questions about shades of grey and what is and isn't acceptable. Mm. And, you know, and whether or not we should be with her or not and i yeah i i i I, mm. I love both of them i thought they were both great i enjoyed them immensely it's particularly interesting because yeah. because um the tower was written by an ex the, the novel an ex police mm. woman um an ex member so that i think that's fascinating she and, and you know it is critical it's definitely overtly critical of um you know of the way the police behave some of the characters you know mm. emmett emmett scallon's character is yeah. a complete dick but he's he's a bellend like regardless yeah. of what he's doing yeah. or what his motivations are he's just a bellend right but the sort of the larger question as to what happens in that show and i i don't think the show comes down definitively on one side or the other i think it's very much like oh, yeah. it asks a question and it offers a potential answer sure. and then it leaves you to kind of feel sure. your way through it yeah. like yeah uh, which I, I just thought it was i like the nuance i like the moral mm, ambiguity yeah, yeah, of it completely, i thought yeah. it was very well constructed uh, yeah. i i I'd enjoyed that a lot so yeah that's been good i've had a nice sort of brit uh brit thriller week which is good because there'll be about five more on the on the way um was, <laughs> i was going to bring out there's an article in the telegraph and i should have uh, um uh, uh, written by a guy whose name i haven't remembered um in which he was basically saying oh you know enough already of the british crime tv crime thriller why with yeah well i mean indeed um you know and you know, he's kind of, and I mean, obviously, he's got to point to you know, there are. A, a, I mean, it is by far and away the dominant genre that that is that that, that is commissioned. Yeah, and not and, all of them are 
great. Not all of them are great. Of course, they're very quality. But when they but are. I, yeah. But um, Sophie Petzl engaged with him and wrote some brilliant classic Sophie Petzl threads <laughs> of just like pinpoint, you know, eloquent uh, explaining the situation. And it was all about what, what commissioners want. But she did make some very interesting points, you know, about the fact that actually, you know, she's got loads of scripts and ideas that aren't, you know, th- psychological thrillers that she's kind of ended up doing because I, I, the first one we saw on TV, Blood, was so good. That obviously, mm. commissioners see that and go, well, we'll have five, Ten more of those, please. Yeah. Um, but she's like, well, I'd, do, I'd love to do loads of other stuff, but that, it's not up to me. It's up to the commission. They're hard. They're hard. Presumably, they're hard to get commission, but also they, I imagine, cost well, more money. They cost <laughs> more. They're more. They're more of a risk. Yeah, it, it takes a risk. you know exactly. from a non-existing IP drama to not be crime or medical, even yeah. you know, and not be some kind of thriller is really hard to get away. You know, and then you've got the kind of family rural thing going on as well. That's the other... But anything out of that, I mean, really... The, and she was saying the other... And the people who do get to do those, Russell T. Davis, are superstar writers. Yeah. You know, yeah. kind yeah. of celebrity, in quotes, writers. Yeah. So, and it's completely true. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the original article has a point, but my argument is, you know, as, as, as you implied with your, you know, who, why, why not? Why shouldn't we have five more? Because actually, I think the quality of them goes up and up and up, generally. I think there are more really good... British TV thrillers, both on ITV and BBC, and you know Channel Four is doing it's got its one now on Sunday night, which I've been banging on about for a few weeks, which I'm enjoying as well, you know. And so it's not a problem for me. And I also think it really comes down to quality and people's um, what people like. If you read, if like Mayor of Easttown is a completely absolute core genre crime solving thing. So the 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 guy in the article was like of things that are cop solves crime. You know, you can, but Eric Vistan is cop soft crime. It happens to be brilliant, and every element of it is fantastic, and its milieu and its world is brilliantly portrayed. Oh, I love it. But that's what it is, and so it's like no <laughs> yeah. one's come, no one in the world will complain about Mary Town on any level it, because it's brilliant. So Happy Valley was the same. Yeah, you know, and he's being deliberately reductive, isn't he? Like he's the idea is it's like, it's like humans talk to each other. Oh no, they're yeah. all like that. It's just like yeah. sure, but it's what you do with it. The first season of The Expanse, at its heart, is partly cop solves crime because it's about a missing girl ultimately it takes place in the future and there are spaceships and belters and, and yeah well all sorts of excellent stuff but ultimately it is it's yeah. a crime of course that yeah. kicks it all off yeah but i think i think we you know i definitely agree that the commissioners need you know should be more open-minded and be bolder braver but it's hard they're, they're facing you know the streamers are investing 10 million pounds an episode in some lavish science fiction epic for you James um, so yeah. it's, it's, that's the difference well, so all excellent. that's happening in that world as well yeah. anyway it's an, it's an interesting piece and there's an interesting discussion mm. if you if you I mean look at what Sophie's been writing about it you'll find it on uh, Twitter and stuff yes so I, don't I, know. I love a Brit crime drama oh so do I and I, I, I'm I, I vastly same. prefer a good Brit crime drama to I do an American one because they have such a different feel to them there's an earthiness to Brit crime yeah. dramas that I just I get I revel in when I get a really good one I agree well Mary v, we do do them better ours are better generally May, the thing about Mary Vistan was it was felt yes. like it felt like Happy Valley it really <laughs> yeah. did and, and I yeah. think the creators have paid yeah. that have admitted that and have paid their dues to because that because it has humans in it whereas yeah. a lot of American crime dramas don't have humans in it they have like characters, yeah, uh, which is how I'm choosing to distinguish them. They don't feel <laughs> accessible, real right. people no, I agree. in I a way that, that I think often Brit ones do. Speaking of Brit, gritty Brit crime dramas, the Luther movie yeah. is shooting now because Idris yeah. shared a picture of uh, ah. himself looking down at the coat and tie. Cute. Uh, that was very exciting. <laughs> it's not cute, but you it know. was. Oh, he's back in the coat. <laughs> But I'm jumping ahead to news yeah, now. Yeah, you, we shouldn't you've be segued doing that. into news. I can't, Sorry. I can't take this uh, milling, m- mixing but, around. Uh, but yeah, so, okay. 
fine. Uh, <laughs> yes, so, okay, fine indeed. Yes, so, yeah. okay, fine. Well, before we get on to news, uh, we should probably do uh, the old listener question, which we have, from Blasting Pigeon, because, of course, who says, I decided to watch High Fidelity, even though I knew it was cancelled. However, given how it ended, I almost wish I didn't get into it now, as I'll never see those characters again. Are there any shows you went into knowing you'll not get a fully satisfying ending as it had been cancelled? Well, first of all, better to have loved than lost, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Better to have loved than lost. It is a crying shame that I think High Fidelity especially was cancelled because we then got there and here's what you could have had for season two and what we could have had was Cherise and her band as the the focus of the second season so that was a crying shame but I think some of the so some of my entries actually did wrap up nicely it's it's tricky to know what you know they shouldn't have been cancelled but also what would have happened in that second season that would have been bigger and better than what you've already had so things like Freaks and Geeks for example which is what I watched years after it was cancelled. Um, I still really love the ending to that when Lindsay and Kim, which was Busy, Busy Phillips' character, they go off to see the Grateful Dead together um, where Lindsay was supposed to, she lies to her mum essentially and says she's going off to, I think it's it's some sort of prestigious sort of summer camp for, oh, boffins. Why am I saying boffins? Like, for boffins. For boffins. Boffins right. is a great word. Right. That's why. Boffin camp. I'm I bringing boffin enough, back. Yeah. <laughs> boffins uh, but instead she chooses to go out on the road with Kim and there's there's no kind of love interests involved it's just this really lovely friendship that's kind of evolved where they didn't get along initially and now they get on really well and now they're going off to do that so I thought the ending of that was really lovely um, and quite a nice emotional payoff looking as well which obviously started this year knowing that it got cancelled and a lot of people were quite sore about that but that's tied up really nicely um the one I was salty about, you know, I'm sure it's on everyone's list, is of course Firefly, yeah. which I went into yeah. um, later on in life. Out of Gas, I think it's the last episode of that. Yeah. With Jubal Early. Oh, um, I mean, I didn't, I was a four, four channel household, so we didn't have any way of watching this. I can't even remember how I did watch it, probably DVD. Um, but obviously that, that wrapped up. Um, in a way that I felt like we could have got. It just stopped, didn't it? Really, it just more. stopped. Obviously, yeah. we had serenity to wrap it up. I felt like there was reams more stuff that we could have done, and, and Nathan Fillion's obviously endlessly watchable, yeah. and sadly just hasn't had, well, in the UK anyway, hasn't been able to kind of come up in much stuff since. So but he's done like that. He's been minting it because he was on Castle for ages. Yeah. And isn't he on another procedural now? I think he's done actually extremely well from himself. He's done- Not. Not in a kind of like a glitzy, glamorous way, maybe in terms of export, but I certainly think domestically, like he's a bit of a household face for, for Castle and things like that. Yeah. So. I mean, I don't feel sorry for yeah, him necessarily. Yeah, like he's doing a lot better than we are. He's fine. <laughs> he's okay. Mm. But I think in terms of a role that really mined that charisma, he was just, that was him. That yeah. was so... Captain tight pants. Yeah. Mm. In, undoubtedly him. And it was such a shame that we didn't get to kind of carry on exploring the the galaxy with him so yeah more I would have liked to have seen from the others but I think the endings were very satisfying for Freaks and Geeks and looking and so whereas yeah I am obviously very sad they weren't renewed I still felt fulfilled by by what happened in them but this is this has long been the risk when you watch I mean any show but network shows in particular 
Like it feels like when you invest in a new show, you are just rolling the dice because you have absolutely no idea. And especially because where like Sky, for example, will be bigging up this brand new show. And it's like it was cancelled six months ago. And I mean, yeah. occasionally it still happens here yeah. now, like when it'll turn up on, you know, on Stars Play or whatever mm-hmm. it is. We had to watch, what was it, Swamp Thing? We had to yeah, watch. Yeah, oh, I mean, exactly. Canceled. And they'll turn up on like wasn't all the Hulu stuff, like the Disney Plus, yeah. they would turn up. What was the channel that Fox. ended? I was, this was, yeah, I was going to say, say, there would Fox literally UK. Fox in the end. <laughs> Before Fox was, ceased to exist in this country and then became, because when Disney yeah. Plus launched, it, it, it took on all of that stuff. But it, it was basically turned out being, you know, show of the week that's yeah. already been cancelled. It was the TV graveyard, wasn't Every it? Every single like, week. Everything yeah. we reviewed, on there half of them. had been cancelled yeah. Yeah. before it even aired. Yeah. Um, and it is shit because you know you'll almost certainly never get an ending to it. I mean, sometimes you might get a kind of a half-assed bit of closure. But mm. a lot of the times not. And I think there's it, an interesting question that do you knowingly start a show with the knowledge, with the foreknowledge that you're just not going to get an ending. Like, so I have never watched my so-called life for this very oh, well, reason. Oh, that was, that was going to be my... Yeah. That was what I was going to talk about, yeah. So I was trying to remember at the time, 1993, four, wherever it was, um, whether... I, on my memory of it is 1994, that when it, by the time it got to a UK um, airing, that we did know it had been cancelled. I'm mm. pretty sure we knew it had been cancelled and it wasn't going. Because remember, the thing about... The, the reason it was cancelled, I mean, it did, the ratings weren't great, but Claire Danes was actually in school was actually properly the right age for the role and she didn't her parents her kind of family didn't want us to carry on in it because they couldn't it was the balance it was a it was a network show so there were what 20 episodes i think mm. of season the first and only season and they would have carried on being that many episodes subsequently because that was the way network tv worked at the time now it's slightly more flexible but so it was just there was the workload of claire danes and the rest of the cast that, that kind of ended up with that show being axed but i definitely remember watching it anyway and i'm glad i did because it is absolutely brilliant and of course brought jared leto to this world who i saw the other day in the house of gucci film and he is absolutely extraordinary in it is um, he? yeah i guess so. he yeah you know he's cast as this the yeah. he's cast as the doofus brother yeah um bald overweight whatever you know he looks like me basically do you imagine jared leto playing me well, actually, without, without wispy balding hair because he and he but he, I mean, he goes full throttle in this role and it is highly entertaining. I, I, I've got sidetracked. But he is phenomenal. Like, he is so sexy and charismatic in my so-called life. And it's such a great, it, it was one, I think it was one of the, you know, incredibly influential depiction of, you know, gay, gay sexuality at that point in high school. You know, it was completely bold and unique from that point of view. So it was a brilliant show. And I'm glad I watched it, even despite now, I'm pretty sure that I knew it had been cancelled already. Yeah. That's what, another example I was thought of was do you remember a show called Life As We Know It. Do you ever know, know this show? I do remember. It was only this one very vaguely. This was Kelly Osbourne was in it. What? One of the most interesting things about acting. Yeah, Kelly Osbourne acting in a teen drama. It was actually based on a British novel doing it by Melvin Burgess that I read at the time. I reviewed it on Simon Mayo's um, Five Live show back in the day when he used to review books every week as well as TV. And um, I actually went on set in Vancouver for the show. Oh my god! Because Living, do you remember the, the old UK Living Channel ball, mm. the right, they acquired it. Life as we know it. Um, they took they took me and a couple of other journalists to fucking Vancouver. And I'm pretty sure my memory is we were there for quite a while, yeah. like four days maybe, with like what? maybe at one day on set. And loads of time to just hang out in Vancouver, which I love anyway. So my, I have a brilliant memory of the fact that I got to go to Vancouver and visit the set, thanks to Livy. But then my other thing, is, I think it was in, uh, it was what year was it? 
There you go. 2004, five. Yeah, so I think it aired on ABC in America in 2004. By the time it aired, got to living, months later, it had been cancelled already. And it was like, well, that was a complete fucking waste of time. But, you know, I had a great time. Yeah. And it was kind of a bit of a mediocre show. But it was, it was, it also was dealing with lots of quite edgy. The Melvin Burgess book is really, actually, he's a properly, one of the most famously edgy. Um, I'll stop saying edgy in a minute. Um, writers of teen fiction, but it kind of tried the, the TV show. It was an MTV production. Tried to, as much as well as it could to go for that, and it did get. You know, people complained about it, like Christian fundamentalists complained about it. Um, and Kelly Osbourne was surprisingly not terrible in it. Um, <laughs> the bar were low. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, uh, so I remember that very clearly. That being a cancelled show that I still watched anyway because I'd already been on set and wanted to see what it was like, and it was fine. I think. That show was one of those things where they didn't even air. Like they think they made like most of the a series and didn't even air the last few episodes at all. Oh, which I, I think hate is really it when sad. That yeah, that, like it's sadness mm. upon sadness. Yeah. Um, talking of which, Heather's the TV version of Heather's has half of that. I think has never been aired in America. Yeah. It's all on Stars Play. Yeah. Even though it never aired. Even though it never there. aired. So some of it aired. I think I, I think it's quite complicated. I was looking it up on Wikipedia <laughs> and it's really complicated. I was like, I haven't got time. But it, it due to various school shootings, um, the, the executives mm. didn't want it to air. So they postponed it. I think they might have eventually shown a couple of episodes, but not many. Then I think they made it available to watch somehow um from Eggs. But it is all on um Stars Play. Uh, check, I checked and I, 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 I've been meaning to watch it because I'm fascinated by the whole idea of doing Heather's as a TV show yeah. and trying to capture that incredible anarchic quality to that film so that's one that I will eventually watch even though it has obviously it was cancelled fucking years ago and, mm. and nothing's ever and it hasn't I don't think there's any plans to revive it as far as I can see it's strange. So I've a couple of times I've I've actually a show I've been really enjoying. So for example, <laughs> pick a Brian Fuller show actually, but uh, well, yeah. something like so Hannibal for example, which yeah. I loved, got cancelled. And I hadn't finished season three, so I just stopped watching it. Because, oh, that is freaky. So I didn't finish season that is three. Ridiculous. Boy, it doesn't have an ending. It literally doesn't well, have an ending. So I was just like, well, I'm just. Except I, all I'd say is the last episode is fantastic. What the how they do end the last episode is is, is I mean, astonishing. No spoilers, but it involves a cliff. But none of you wants to see that moment. Oh, you know, do. But I kind of I felt so cheated by oh, the fact that ridiculous. it wasn't coming back. You are that very I stopped. funny with your like. Stort rules. You have well, more rules about what you are well, and aren't going to do. It wasn't a hard I'm not going to watch any of this thing. <laughs> if the expanse gets cancelled somehow, or, you know, if everyone. Uh, God, I was going to say something horrible about the cast and crew there, but if somehow the expanse can't carry on, you're just going to never watch those episodes there. Oh my God. How far will your ban extend? I don't know. Like, this, it wasn't like it was a hard and fast rule. It was more just like, I just thought, oh, what's the point? Like, you know, and I gave up on it. And I think I finished pushing daisies, but there may even be a couple. At the end of that, because as I recall, I remember reading about it that the the Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Charles Chuck mm. uh, comes out to her aunts that she's actually still alive in the finale, and I don't believe I've ever seen that. <laughs> so I don't think I finished pushing daisies for that same reason. Fantastic show, and it got cancelled, and I think there were probably a couple of episodes left, and I went meh, and I just stopped. I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule, and yet it seems to be a hard and fast rule. It seems rule. to be a trend, if <laughs> nothing else. Yeah. But. You know, so something like, like as we discussed, like Firefly, would recommend to people to watch, regardless of whether or not it has an ending. And, you know, uh, you know Pushing Daisies, Freaks and Geeks, you know, Hannibal, all this stuff. Angel as well. So Angel doesn't mm. have an ending. Mm. Um, but, but that's different, I suppose. Angel what, went on for years, though, didn't it? it like, so, I think it had, I want to say, five seasons, yeah, I want to say. must have thought, it must have been, it could have well, had yeah, an ending Yeah, because it, it went to. from, from, from uh, was it, the WB to, to was it UPN, wasn't it? And then right. it didn't get picked up. And I think right. Whedon was a bit fucked off with the of network. Was, so yeah. It ends in a kind of slightly I mean, passive-aggressive way. Well, I mean, what uh, well, we know, what we did now, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. that's yeah. a whole other thing. But, um, yeah, but, but I mean, obviously, the, the answer that you have not brought up, and I know it's not the same because it's not when you started watching it, it's like, we would always recommend 
absolutely everyone watch the OA, even though they'll never yeah. know how it ends. Oh, yeah, of course. But yeah. even now, I'd say watch it anyway. Oh, definitely. Even yeah. though it has no ending. But, the, but it's a kind of show where even though it doesn't have an ending, it could still be, because of the type of show it is, it could almost still be accepted for what it is now. And oh, it doesn't leave you, I mean, I it does it, leave you hanging, but it also doesn't leave you hanging. It's so astonishing and audacious that yeah. even though it leaves you hanging, it, it, it's almost like that is the point of it, mm. to leave you hanging. And even though it was designed for three more seasons, yeah. um, it still works in a, in, a, in, a, in, in a weird way as the perfect ending, the perfect non-ending yeah. ending. I feel like once you've got through Old Knight, the psychic octopus, yeah. and the internet of trees, you can pretty much take exactly. anything on board. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, I mean, still, yeah, people people do ask me that a lot, though, yeah, because I obviously bang on about it regularly. Like, um, should I watch it? Yes. Yeah, yes, you yeah. should. Because you, you really need to, to experience that ending anyway. That ending, the power of that ending reigns supreme, no matter, even the fact that we know it's not, we're not well, even though it's been cancelled. I say, I was about to say, even though we know we'll never see the ending of that story, but actually, um, the creators, Zal and um, Brett, have said that in some way we will eventually see the end of that story. Old I think Knight will beam it yeah. into our subconscious. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The Internet of Trees. Yeah. We will commune with the trees, <laughs> and we will get the end. Of it. <laughs> like, I rewatched Studio Sixty and the Newsroom, as you know, relatively, relatively recently, and neither <laughs> I mean, of those no endings. Surprise. They both yeah. got cancelled. Yeah, so. I mean, and, yeah. Of course, the exception is for your obsession with him. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, they make me happy. What What's his I name again? You? I forgot his name there. From this is what happens to me all the time. I forget my yeah. own name. The great it's, it's Aaron getting, It's getting worrying. Yeah. Well, Blasting Pigeon, I hope that was in some way <laughs> useful to you. If you have a question that you would like us to address on this podcast, uh, in fact, there's now a variety of ways. You can send it to at Pilot TV Pod via DM on Twitter. You could send it to us via message on Instagram. You could send it to us at Pilot TV Pod on Facebook because our social media editor, Sophie, monitors all of these things now. Let us move on to this week's guests. Do Gray Scott, of course, plays D.I. Ray Lennox in this week's crime on BritBox, and he finds himself on the trail of what we suspect may be a notorious serial killer called Mr. Confectioner, which is, <laughs> is, is a very elaborate way of referring to someone who works in a sweet shop. But sure, um, Do Gray, along with series co-writer Irvin Welsh, Train Spotting's Irvin Welsh, uh, spoke to Beth, didn't they, Beth, about this show? Did you manage to get any gems out of Irvin Welsh about the Begbie spin-off TV series, Beth? I did. He was very... He gave me just one little thing in that he was meeting with a writer. Were you giving it away? They're going to hear in a second. Well, you shouldn't have asked the question then as if what? you wanted an I answer. Like, I was like, tease it. I was like, fault. I was like, what are you supposed to You're supposed to, you're supposed to, you're supposed to go, yes, oh, I, I did. I thought you were the king of being candid. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Explain the whole of House of Dragons to me. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, we got some gems. <laughs> yeah, Let's right. go to the interview. <laughs> this is Beth along with Do Grey Scott and Irvin Welsh. Hello both. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Pleasure. Hi. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Irvin, could I start by asking why now is the time to adapt crime and also why you decided to show this through serialised television as opposed to a film? Well, I think the thing is, it's like we wanted to, um, <laughs> we wanted to get to the, you know, the, the darker days of, of police work, like, you know, because it's like, um, it's all squeaky clean now, with kind of Sarah Everard and Prince Andrew and all that kind of thing. So, um, we, you know, <laughs> we've delved back into the kind of darker side of it all. Um, but uh, it's, uh, I think that um, basically the, the the now is just a coincidental thing and it was just basically Dugray. Um, we met at that, um, at that Frank Sozzi thing, yeah. And you just you just read crime. You said, I've got to play this guy. I've just got to play this guy, and it became a 
it was a passion project for him and obsession. We just got got together and um, I'd like to say we just made it happen, but it was a long graft that gone through producers and scripts and um, as these things always are. And eventually we hooked up with Tony at Buccaneer who just kept pushing and pushing and finding a way to do it. And uh, originally we wanted to do the whole Miami thing that was in the biggest part of the book. Um, couldn't get the resources to do that. Uh, so we scaled back um, and we looked at the, the Edinburgh story, like, which is the prequel. And we just, um, we started messing around with that basically and just knocking out some scripts and uh, yeah, uh, here we are. Amazing. And Duke, what, what provoked you to start that conversation to say that this was the character that you had to play and you wanted to do this project? Well, I'd read, I mean, I, I'd known, uh, Irvin for you know a long time and obviously when I read Train Spotting, which was the first time I became aware of Irvin, I was just blown away by the the power of the writing. And this I'd fight, you know, was reading someone for the first time that kind of spoke for my generation and for also for for my cultural background and upbringing. And I just felt that I was in very, very familiar hands as a as a reader. Uh, reading this this novelist. I mean, it's happened before with people from all over the world because you make connections with writers. Um, but this was particularly powerful, and I was just you know fell in love with his writing then. And so uh, always was you know we'd had conversations over the years about doing stuff together. And then I read Crime, and I was like, this is just quite extraordinary. And then and as Irvin said, we tried for quite a while to. You know, to get it off the ground. And then when I met Tony Wood at Buccaneer, he was like, "I, I, I want to do it as well." And then we kind of focused on doing an origin story. Really, eventually, we just focused on the Edinburgh stuff because people quite couldn't quite get their head around, you know, a, a Scottish cop in Miami and how would that work? And, and so I think, in, uh, at the end of the day, it worked to our advantage because what we got was, you know, Irvin brilliantly kind of. Um, not so much filled in the gaps, but created this huge, this massive backstory for these characters, and it became this 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 origin story that I, I think is incredibly um, powerful, and um, you know follows the. It's not just about this guy trying to find a serial killer; it's about the effects of you know his childhood on him and how he deals with his work throughout the course of this particular investigation, and it's you know. It's incredibly powerful and emotional piece, and um, I just connected to it, and I thought I, I've got to make this happen. So, producing and, and acting something at the same time is not easy, but I certainly no complaints from from my point of view because I got to work with one of my favourite writers on the planet, um, who's you know a friend as well. But also, you know that that doesn't come along very often. You know when you get to to, to say the words from from someone who's just you know, so creatively, um, you know, connective. And um, I just, uh, I, I loved every minute of it. I would love to know about your work with David Blair and James Strong, who've got this huge breadth of incredibly um, influential shows between them. What would, to, together, what was your collaboration like working with the both of them to bring this source material to to this? Well, I mean, I, I'd, I'd, because I, I had me and Irvin, Obviously, I had the piece for a while, and then when I met up with Tony, and we were talking about who would get to direct it, and and I just immediately thought of James because I'd worked with him on United, 
and we'd nearly done something else together. And I just find him visually a really interesting and brilliant uh, director. And so he read it very early on and, and he was like, I'm in, I want to do this. So that was an easy one. And, you know, originally we thought maybe he would direct all six, but it's really difficult, you know, to, to, to do that practically. And then um, David Blair, who's someone I've known for years and years, and obviously the lakes, and he's a brilliant director and, and, and you know, very, very Scottish. <laughs> so that he, he really understood it and got it, and, and he's done a f fantastic job in it as well. I mean, Irvin's seen it all as well, so he'll, he'll tell you what he thinks about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the, the, the big thing for, for me was, like, um, not to have it look like a cop drama, not to have it look like a cop station, not to have it look like kind of cop offices and sort of all that, you know. So we wanted a, a director who was real, who was a real visual stylist and had his own sort of, um, you know, who, who, had, who could bring in a fantastic DOP and fantastic kind of set and costume designers and... Uh, and it just looks, you know, it just looks like nothing else. It looks like it looks like you know, it's like no other cop show that's in Britain that's ever been. You know, it's completely original. It's, it's just, it's not even a cop show. You can't even call it that, like you know. Um, but um, it just, you know, it not you know, tonally we we wanted it to be like that, but also visually it was important that it didn't really look like. Um, it didn't look like a kind of dreary 1970s DHSS office of a, of a police station. Did you? And, it, you know, it was important, you know, it was like the, the cops, you know, they weren't, going to, they weren't going to be saying kind of gov and mom and all that kind of stuff. And they weren't going to be dressed in this fucking, like, um, this, you know, this, this terrible generic kind of sort of cop dress. They're all going to be, they're just going to be a, a bunch of misfits in this strange kind of factory, basically, um, that was going to, you know, that was... Um, that they were trying to all fucked up people trying to make sense of their lives and so it wasn't you know it wasn't about the the good guys catching the bad guys it's about the bad guys trying to catch the worst guys basically you know or the <laughs> or the fucked up guys trying to catch the more fucked up guys you know and that was the way that I, you know I kind of um, I saw the I saw these things you know it's like uh, and so. It was important to that that was visualised in that way, you know, that, um, that people watching at home would think, well, this is a bit, this is a cop drama, but it's kind of a, not really like a cop drama. It's not like a cop show we've seen before. Our sense of familiarity uh, kind of uh, is being not massively kind of thrown out, but it's being jarred a bit and it's been knocked out of kilter a little bit, having to think about what's going on here. So that was a kind of important thing. And James brought all that to it. You know, he just he's, he is such a fantastic visual director. And um, and him and David have got, you know, they've, they've got completely different styles. I mean, James is very much like, um, give me the scripts and I'll shoot them and then I'll just, I'll just get on with it and I've got my own idea. Dave is much more like, um, let's work in this scene. Can we rewrite this? Can we change this? I'm going to have to shoot this in a different way because we've not got the money to do that or we've got, you know. So it's very, one is very, um, you know, kind of you've done the job, brilliant. I'll go and shoot the thing now. This is, you know, this is great. The other one is like um, much more in a collaborative sort of, uh, let's, you know, let's go on with it. So it's fabulous, you know, and it's like, I mean, I've worked with so many great directors before and I put them both right up there with the best. 
Yeah. How how would you describe? How did you feel about writing for television? Because it's it's a significant thing to see yourself now moving to the small screen and doing this and doing this project. And did you come up against any kind of fresh challenges while you were doing this? Yeah, I mean, Maldini and I haven't had haven't had great experiences. <laughs> Right, working with for television. I mean, we had um, we did a great uh, film called Wedding Bells, uh, which was written for TV for Channel Four, and it just kind of was one of the best things we did. But the the exhibition of it, the distribution of it, was a kind of dispute between Channel Four and Film Four, so who was going to have it? And it's like, um, so we've had you know we've, we've done a lot of things that have nearly got made and have not got made, and um, you know and uh, you know so it's been a it's been quite a, a kind of patchy. Thing, um, but uh, when we, you know, the, when we uh, got together with um, with Tony, and then um, we met Polly Hill, it was just like it was amazing to find someone who was on the same page and just so supportive for the project all the way. Um, and it was just, you know, it really was. You know, everybody everybody says this when it gets made. You know, when it when it works out, and you produce something good. Everybody says it was it was great. It was a dream. Um, but it was, it was just such a, a wonderful process to be part of because everybody was working really hard and everybody was pulling in the same direction. And you don't always get that. And we don't get that. That's usually when things don't get made, basically, you know. But um, right from the start, everybody was, you know, we, we, we tried... We, 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 we tried every kind of, you know, there was no... It was, no idea of kind of surrendering at all. We were just going to do everything we could to get it made, but we're going to do everything we could to get it made in the way we wanted to get it made. And did Gray, aside from the source material, was there anything else that you did to help build on this character? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I just, <clears throat> I mean, it, right from the start, I understood a lot of, you know, his life. Um, but all the stuff about his obsession with serial killers and all that side, I I read probably too much about about that that side of, of life because you know the more you read, the darker it gets and the more it affects you and, and it can you know especially reading about someone like Robert Black, you know, whose you know crimes were so heinous and and really hard to to keep reading about. But you've got to because that's the character you're playing, so you've got to commit to it. And so this is what Lennox is going through. His obsession becomes my obsession. And so I become obsessed about the things he becomes obsessed about. And then I'll talk to this police advisor called Ian Gold, who's, who is just phenomenal and just gave me a great insight into the way that, you know, these these people's, these police officers' minds work. And, you know, he was, he was very honest about uh, the police force and, you know, what happens uh, in these investigations and the things that they uncover, the things that they see and the things that don't get revealed to the public. Um, but a lot of documentaries, I looked at a lot of, a lot of documentaries and, you know, became obsessive in the way that Lennox became obsessive, you know, uh, you know and, and, and throughout the course of our drama, you see, you know, very visually how it affects his life and how he just won't let it go. Um, but similar to me in other respects, I'm like a dog with a bone as well, especially trying to get this made. So, you know, it was, it was I wouldn't say it was seamless because I had to make a jump into this guy's emotional journey and, and it was pretty intense, but there's no other way to do it. You can't just dip your toe in the water. You've got to, you know, take your clothes off and dive in at the deep end and, and see what happens. 
Yeah. So that's kind of what we all did, really, with that. And I think we all took risks. You know, Urban wrote an extraordinary drama. You know, uh, the, the you know it's not easy to. It's really not easy to. I have to say though, it's like um, I couldn't have done it without Dean because um, you know yeah. I work with Dean Kavanagh and the screenplay. And I, I feel that um, the adaptation thing—I can write anything I'm on, but adapting um, is a different thing. Particularly adapting your own stuff, you get too close to it, and it's like um, I needed—I you know, needed—I needed Dean to 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 be there with me, to write with me, and to sort of. Um, and to kind of you know and explore the character visually and, to, and televisually in that way that you would you know that uh, that you need to make that transition from page to stage you know and so you know and you have this thing where you you say this is a great scene we should have this in here and then Dino will say something like well you know this works it works on the the page really well but it's not going to work on the stage and it's a double beat on the stage we can't you know we, we have to sort of um, have to find a way. Uh, to if we if we put if we put this in, we're going to have to take this out. So you know they're essentially saying the same things, and you have a blindness to that. I mean, I would be able to see that in some in somebody else's script or in a, you know or in something else, but that's something else I was doing originally for for screen. But um, you have a strange relationship with something you've already written, and I think you do need another pair of eyes on it. Um, and it's also you know it's like I think the. To me, writing with a partner is a great thing because it kind of, if you're a novelist, you're just on your own all the time. But um, when you make the transition to film and to uh, television, uh, if you start off right away as a, with somebody in collaboration, with, that sets the whole spirit and tone of it, you know. Um, and that's what you have to do. You have to think in a completely different way to, you know. So, um it's uh, you know you know instead of being on your own, you're suddenly in this room with a lot of different people, and they all have input and uh, into the into the process, into the script, into the, the the process of developing the script. You know, so the script obviously it's like myself and Dina writing scripts, but without Dougray's input, without Tony's input, um, without James and David's input, the scripts wouldn't be as strong as as they were. Absolutely, it feels like such a solid collaboration. I've got to wrap up, but before I go, Irvin, I do have to ask how things are going with the Blade Artist. We are very excited to see how you're getting on, what we can expect to see from the big Begbie show. Well, <laughs> I mean, I said, I said to Bobby that I really just wanted to, um, I wanted the same kind of uh, process that we had with Dugri. I just want, you know, and uh, I think it's it's a way to go to get these things done. You know, you, you want to get um, the, you want to get the the, the star as as a as a kind of um, uh, creative pre production force, basically. Uh, you know, as a producer and get get that kind of input. This one, I'm not going to adapt myself, but with Dean, I'm going I'm going to I'm going to find someone else. I've got someone else in mind. I'm kind of meeting her to to talk about that. Uh, but um, yeah. I work as a producer because again, the Boyd Arts is only two. It's only two books back, and I'm still too close to it. You know, so if it was five years down the line, I would jump in. But I think it. I think it would benefit in the way that I kind of want to do it. Um, I think it needs it needs somebody else to bring something to it. And have a, have a person in mind, and I hope, hopefully she'll be agreeable. We're meeting her. Meeting her tomorrow, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you.
Right. Uh, shall we jump into this week's news? We've already kind of touched on the Luther thing, but I guess the big news from this week is that Squid Game 2 mm. has been officially greenlit. We know that well, it is has happening. It? Well, because if you dig deep into the reality of the story, it's that I believe the creator, a yes. red carpet event, um, said he is already working on series two and just has to do it because it has to be done. But Netflix have not confirmed the existence of this Which yet. Which I think is quite I mean, brilliant, really. Yeah, it's it quite in line with how this whole, is, this yeah, whole thing's painful, really gone it? down. Yeah. It's in the same hinterland that Star Trek Discovery season four yeah, is well, currently existing I mean, in. That's I mean, could you imagine if they turn around and were like, no, you're all right, actually. Don't want a second season. Yeah. Of the single most popular um, phenomenon in the history of Netflix, yeah. apparently. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it, but it, but they have not officially confirmed it. That, that is just you know whatever, that, that's just the way they work. They take they they do things in their own sweet way. In I their love, own sweet I love time. this approach. It's like yeah. Schrodinger's TV series. Does yeah. it exist? Does it not? Yeah. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Well, I think it's a pretty safe bet if the creator has said it. It's just he's just in, yes. in a way that feels very emblematic of this show. I will point out as well. I just talked about this at one a.m. the other day on BBC of News. What Squid Game yeah. again? Why well, Squid English. Game correspondent of the I world? Squid Game correspondent. Which, web, so which media appearance was this? This on is BBC News. BBC News at one a.m. live. And what did they want? Live. Wow, on Zoom. That's horrible. <laughs> on Zoom. On Zoom. Oh, okay. Yeah, you have to go no, I didn't go. Oh, okay. God, no, the cat's sleeping behind me. Um, just to talk about Squid Game season two, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it might as well be. He's, I mean, he's he's quite mysterious, the creator, but he he wouldn't say that if he wasn't oh, confident of course, of course. it was going yeah. ahead. Cool. And Ji Hun has been um, confirmed to be back. Not that that was ever again much of a mystery, but I would be flabbergasted if Netflix turned around and said I mean it is it is weird that they haven't made any announcement well, on this it isn't it isn't because I, I remember I had, it, I had this conversation very recently with a creator of a TV uh, who, who, who um, had a brilliant rant about how the announcements of shows right there's a whole it's a whole system and all these different um, streamers and TV channels and um, production companies have their own sweet obsessive very, you know, specific way of um, and making announcements. And, you know, if Netflix wants it to, if, you know, if they spent the whole day, like Saturday was Stranger Things 4 day, wasn't it? Where suddenly, like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's all to do with that. that. It's like, yeah, so exhausting. as far as they're concerned, these things are not real unless they decide on what particular moment they decide, you know, as the gatekeepers, they're going to tell everyone that this thing that we already know has happened anyway is officially announced. So it's just, it is, I find it irritating as well. It is fucking ridiculous, this whole system where just, 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 let him say it's it's been recommissioned and just confirm it. You don't have to have a whole song and dance about it. It's all fine. We know the way it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rant over. No, I'm completely with you. Seriously, that's be like a whole horror. Much as I love the like mythic quest um reveal with right, with yes. anthony hopkins i mean if you're gonna do that uh, then great yeah that's, that's really that's fair lovely, but yeah. if they're waiting for some big event reveal i'd yeah the stranger things day was exhausting and <laughs> and not really necessary i don't know i don't know but yeah no i do like that he just yeah just told ap news he's like yeah actually we are gonna do it as if we weren't You've basically forced me into a corner where I'm going to do it now. And Netflix, I think one of the the conditions was that Netflix put his films on the platform, which they have done now. Um, so he's just like, yeah, basically. And then the world erupted and I geared up for 1am news starts again because it's my Fantastic. I hope maybe you can fit in a few more media appearances before this part, this podcast goes out. I probably will, you know. Yeah. I probably yeah. will. Um, we'll add that to your, your CV. Beth Webb, animation and squid game expert. <laughs> <sake>. mm. <laughs> the really big news, though, it was announced today. 
Oh, was it, boy? Thursday. What's happened? Thursday, the 11th of November, 2021. Um, this arrived. Uh, the cast of Channel 4's award-winning hit show, It's a Sin, will be reuniting this Christmas. Are you aware of this, James? No, because you're a busy man. They'll be reuniting this Christmas for a seasonal special of... No, It's a Sin. No. I was going to say, it doesn't feel like no. something that's going to get a Christmas special, does it? No, The Great British Bake Off. Oh, that's yeah. very sweet. <laughs> Great. Oh, I like that, exactly. actually. Thank you, Beth. That's, that's the right really reaction. James' like, eyes to the heavens reaction. Did, you know, it yes. didn't end well, did it? it no, it I mean, you're not on a somber note, so it's nice they can make a panna yeah, cotta no, and exactly. have a laugh. I don't think it'll be in character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I would say that. But, but specifically, Ollie Alexander, Lydia West, Nathaniel Curtis, and Sean Dooley will be in the Bake Off tent. Hang on, is Russell not baking? No, Russell is not baking. It's the on-screen stars. Um, yeah, it's, it, they, I, mean, be, I mean, Russell is a huge superstar, obviously, but yeah, I mean, he's also a busy man. And like, I don't know, I'd love to see him bake, actually, oh, now you mention yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I want to the... see him whip up a tiramisu. <gasps> oh, that's how he could do the Doctor Who reveal. He could bake. <laughs> oh, that would yeah. be Russell Toby's face. A gingerbread <laughs> TARDIS. A gingerbread TARDIS. You open that the door and the name be... is inside it. There we yes. go. Oh, that would be phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Make it happen. Okay, well, let's make Already, that happen. You're influential. Yeah. Make it happen. <laughs> we'll make that happen. I'll make that happen. But in the meantime, we do have the Bake Up Christmas special. And they did it with Derry Girls. And it was yeah, great. You know, it was Derry so Girls. It was much so fun. good. So, yeah. And you love Derry Girls as well, James. I do. So you yeah. still watched that? You watched that one? Oh, okay. No. But um, I think it'll be fantastic. And all the n- normal people will be there, pretty deep Hollywood, not fielding Matt Lucas. But, yeah. Normal people bake off, I might watch. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, God, really? Very sex, sexy baking. Something is like when one of those two was on it. Oh, Daisy Edgar Jones is obviously related to Phil Edgar Jones, who is a reality TV king. Ex Big Brother, reality TV king, now on Sky Arts. But I, uh, by, by the by, anyway, I, I my favourite tweet of the week was related to Bake Off. Go on, and it was the reason why Paul Hollywood has such piercing blue eyes is because he's ripped to the tits on Spice Meringue, and I thought that was great. <laughs> was that was that <laughs> was, Matt Lucas that tweeted that? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, okay. I, no, it wasn't. It like I, just, I enjoyed the sort that of good. Yeah. Uh, the intersection of Dune and Great British Bake Off. <laughs> uh, appealed to me. Intersection. Yeah. You're the right. second intersection of Dune and Great British Bake <laughs> yes. Off in its history. Yes. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, anyway, um, that's great news. We got, what did we get trailers? We, we did get the Stranger Things teaser, which I guess we do have to talk about now after slagging off its big reveal, um, which looks more like it's becoming more of a coming of age show now. With it, with I mean, a... they have come of age. They are <laughs> yeah, of age. They're of they age. are in their mid to late 40s. Yeah. Several of them are almost certainly divorced <laughs> and, you know, paying child maintenance. So I'm not you sure that, what this show is. When I went on set of Stranger Things season <laughs> oh my three, um, some of them are really young. Like it varies wildly, yeah. but they go from really, really young, like where you had to interview like, you know, uh, basically like a, Eight, nine, ten year old to to yeah, to clearly in their th- early thirties. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just a spread. Yeah. But I thought I I mean, you know, I agree with you about the whole um day event. But and they didn't even reveal the the um, release date, did they? In that in that um, It's still just twenty twenty two. Yeah, which isn't is what, it? that's what we really want to know. So there's gonna be another probably another day <laughs> yeah. built around the actual release date reveal. Um but I'm I'm totally there for I do love Stranger Things. Yeah, it's like spring break like a dash of area fifty one, isn't it? That's yeah. what we're kind of leaning into now. Um. Yeah, just mm. more of the same. Yeah. New direction. Speaking of new directions, we got the uh, and I will talk about it, even though you hate it. Always Sunny season fifteen trailer landed. Belen's <laughs> abroad. Tell me something. I've got a question for uh, you. What yeah. is the Dennis system? <laughs> because this this came up recently. Someone tweeted that 
Joe <laughs> in really you about was this. using the Dennis system. And yeah. I Googled Dennis system. Is, is this related to the Dewey Decimal system? I know he works in a no. library. And it's something from It's Always Sunny. But when I saw it was from Always Sunny, yeah. I just refused to read it. So <laughs> please tell me what the Dennis system I'm is. I'm not used to be so uh, close-minded. <laughs> no, I, I can't remember what it stands for, but it's a whole episode that pivots on. It's an acronym for various stages of emotionally manipulating a woman right um in order to sleep with them and it, what's funny about that episode is um oh who's the who's the actor that plays him who plays dennis um anyway the actor that plays dennis his wife plays the woman that he seduces and emotionally manipulates but it all goes horribly wrong the other characters try and do it and it goes it goes terribly and they end up being the best of the joke which is the whole charm of always sunny um but that is a very good comparison joe does does take the Dennis system to like very violent extremes. So that's very funny. Um, yes. It's almost like you should watch it so you can understand the culture. Never gonna happen. <laughs> I it's tried, guys. Never gonna I tried. Happen. I've gone from <laughs> it being something I've never seen to yeah. now something that I just passionately hate. Actively like, reject. It, 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 it has upgraded Absolutely. Yeah. For yeah. no yeah. reason. I just I yeah. dislike it intensely talking now. Of, um, talking of hatreds of certain TV uh, people, have you heard the rumours, read the rumours about the Next American Crime Story um, series from Ryan Murphy, series four. Your favourite Ryan Murphy. I actively yeah. reject. You do. You have dissed. You have tried to cancel Ryan Murphy. Let's face it, on this podcast, and failed so far. Because funnily enough, he's got two multi-billion-dollar deals <laughs> yeah. with Netflix, and yeah. seemingly carrying on making shows for FX yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I am genuinely excited about this. So. I mean, I'm not saying it's a big departure for him. In fact, it's the opposite of a big departure for him. Is it The Expanse Season 7? <laughs> American Stock Crime Story, The Expanse. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I mean, I'd love to see that a bit, a kind of a bit. Um, what was the show where they took the piss out of him? Oh, in... Um, in um, Horror Story, you no, were no, telling no, me. No, in... Oh, it was Watchmen, wasn't Watchmen. it? It was Watchmen. Watchmen, yeah. And one of the many extraordinary brilliant <laughs> things about Watchmen, I need to watch that again, is they have a piss take of Ryan Murphy in the middle of it. Yeah, of like his style shows on TV. It's amazing. So... The rumoured, and I think pretty true, um, thing for the next American Crime Story is Studio 54. Aye. The story of how Steve Rebell and others who ran that um, nightclub, the legendary nightclub, 80s, 90s New York, were there were various criminal enterprises going on at that time. <laughs> in fact, famously, since someone died. That's right, in Houston. Which, did we I was going to say, yeah. they've oh, massive just done it with Houston. Houston. The Houston is half Studio 54 story anyway, to be fair, you're right. One episode in particular. But this is this will be the whole thing will be, you know, 10 episodes. Which is about Studio. I am there for it because... <gasps> 10 episodes! I am obsessed with Studio 54. 10 episodes, boy! I'm, no, I think it's fine. I, I, I'm allowing it because it's like core, it's like top core ultimate Ryan Murphy. All his obsessions mixed into one. That we've can, already seen! I mean, we've already seen to some extent. Oh. <laughs> You're right. You've broken <laughs> Beth. You see what you've done. I've broken Beth. Yeah, sorry. But yeah, I want to see the Ian Schrager, Steve Rebell, Studio 54, American Crime Story thing. And funny, do you know what made me made me slightly appreciate, right? I mean, I, I am a fan of, of a lot of his stuff, just not all of it. As I said about, I'm still enjoying American Horror Story, the current season, still watching that weekly on Disney+. Plus. I don't know why they can't put it all out there, because it's all aired on America, yeah, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Side point. But again, go back to House of Gucci. You know what? I'm just thinking whether I'm allowed to say this. I think, I think the embargo, review embargo passes by the time this, this comes out. If it doesn't, apologies. But watching, watching House of Gucci, you're, I'm suddenly reminded of, actually, I'd rather Ryan Murphy tell this story, I think, because it needs to be camper and more over the top, yeah. more Ryan Murphy than yeah. it actually is. It's Ridley Scott, and it's almost too, you know, kind of um, not quite camp enough. It's got its camp moments, don't get me wrong. Jared Leto, the whole thing. 
his camp and you know Lady Gaga. But that's I did I did think oh this should be a Ryan Murphy you know at least seven part miniseries possibly at least at least seven part yeah. my goodness eh? I mean I'll be f- I think there's. I think there's an area in between, you know, between Ridley Scott and Ryan <laughs> yes. Murphy. You're probably right. I do think there is a halfway point. I yeah. think Ryan Murphy is like right over there in the fucking stratosphere. <sighs> if Holston hadn't happened, <laughs> maybe I'd be more interested. And I am interested because obviously Studio 54 comes with the AIDS crisis as well. So, uh, yeah. and, and obviously they've done such. And I will put my hands up and say I loved Pose. Pose was the last really good mm. thing he did. Yeah, Pose is right. And so if it can approach the AIDS crisis that that way as well and do it well. But then, as I say, he's already done it. He's already done Halston. He's already done Pose. He's already done... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be the ultimate example of Ryan Murphy repeating himself, but let's face it, you know, that is the thing He's always happens. doing it at this stage. That happens He's always fucking doing it. Yeah. All right. He might as well go the whole hog, I think. All right. James is going to cut this whole bit out. As I was talking about House of Gucci, I was thinking, James is going to cut this bit out. I, I, I resent the implication uh, that I cut out every boring thing you say. That is self-evidently oh, oh not true. Oh my goodness. Saucer of milk for James Dyer. Wow. That is uncalled wow. for. It's fine. It's fine. But I think we can all agree that all of this stuff pales into comparison oh, to the Alanis Morissette TV oh, series. Oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah. relatable. Which, is, which, which I'm just so baffled by. So ABC has signed uh, a script deal for this. It's a single camera comedy. Yeah. It's called Relatable and it's inspired by the life of Alanis Morissette. It's loosely inspired by well, the life of Alanis Morissette. This is the official synopsis. <laughs> Relatable follows a 40-something woman married with three kids who spent her young adult life as an international rock star famous for her self-bend anthems of female rage and teen angst. Now the, quote, voice of her generation, though deeply bonded with her family, can't quite get the next generation living in her house to listen to her. Yes. Um, that is like something out of Kirby Enthusiasm. She has been on Kirby Enthusiasm. She was in an episode yeah. of Kirby Enthusiasm, which is a great episode. She was like God in Dogma. She played God in Dogma. But that does sound like the current of Young Larry, which is We're the We're missing out the best ongoing. part, though, which is that she's writing original music for the show. Oh, well, that's good. That which I am really, yeah. really excited for. Um, I do kind of love her. Yeah, she's 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 great. She is. I listened to a decent amount of Alanis Morissette in the 90s. Of course you did. Of course you did. You had to. Everyone did. Yeah. 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 Here's the thing. Have you ever heard her stuff pre Jagged Little Pill? No, that no. was the first. No, it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. What was it like? Was it like what, funky? There are a number of yeah, albums I knew that. that predate Jagged that. I, Little I don't Pill. Oh, that was her big debut. Oh no, oh no, and they it was are, a major label debut. Yeah, oh, they are very different. What are they like then? Oh, they. In what way? I Describe them. I don't believe my description <laughs> can ever do justice to them. I will say, anyone who has access to a Spotify account, find Alanis Morissette's pre-Jagged Little Pill early work and be amazed and dismayed. Okay. <laughs> well, some kind of idea. Like, what is it? Heavy metal or something? Yes, Boyd, it's heavy metal. Oh, okay. No, it's not It's not heavy metal no, at all. it's just not good. It's, 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 it's still like singing, singer-songwriter type thing. I, well, I mean... <laughs> Your inability to enunciate it is getting really Look, annoying. I am not a music journalist, boy. I Clearly. lack the vocabulary, Clearly. I think, to properly sum up wow. what it is. I think you should let your ears okay. do the oh work and God. listen to okay. early Alanis okay. uh, and see what you make of it. And then I would like you to pin down three <laughs> or four bangers and I would like you to sing them on next week's show. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, so let's make sure. that happen. Okay. okay. Yeah. No problem, yeah. So, so what else has been happening? I mean, Jeremy Strong's doing a show um, which he's producing and is going to star in called The Best of Us about the fallout of 9-11 from the point of view of first responders, um, firemen, 
ambulance people and fire women, uh, teachers, volunteers generally. So that and it's being developed by Tobias Lindholm, who wrote Borgen. So Borgen man, Jeremy Strong, nine eleven. Fair, fair enough. Sounds like a. I, I always I feel quite not sorry for the cast of Succession, but <laughs> it is going to take a lot to shake that off. This is like the yeah. friends of our era, you know, trying yeah. to shake off these yeah. massive personalities mm. they have. I think he's talked about how he has to do other stuff yeah. in between in the in the what do they call it between series when they're filming series in the in the gap hiatus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In that period, in the yeah. hiatus, he's talked about he has to do something else yeah. to get that. He's particular because he finds it quite challenging yeah um to, to 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 perform that character so i think yeah he's the one who seems to be going full-on in, in in sorting out other projects for himself clearly definitely yeah. but he is absolutely legit. and of course i mean we should just by the by say every week that succession is constantly is out bettering to itself, itself isn't it yeah absolutely I mean, it is absolutely phenomenal yeah. yeah wonderful the episode coming up week after next i think is the one where they go to this conservative um Remember that one, Beth? The one where they go yeah. to the conservative kind of conference yes. almost and basically decide who the next yeah. president should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Oh, it's so goodness. Yeah. <sighs> James? I can't remember. I believe you and Terry were quite pro Mighty Ducks game changers, weren't you? Yeah, it was really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Emilio Estevez will not be returning. Yes, I did see that. For yeah. season two yeah. of Mighty Ducks game changers. And. The scuttlebutt seems to be it is vaccine-related. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's a few of these stories, aren't there? Yeah, because yeah. Letitia Wright yeah. may not be returning yeah. to Black Panther anytime soon because obviously these vaccine mandates are in effect. And also the fact that she is also British, and I think even now, because she, she injured herself, as I recall, yes. on set yeah, of Black Panther. Yeah, I that's why. And she came back to the UK. But to get back into America now, I think you need to be vaccinated. Yeah, you do. Yeah. She is, of course, a famous anti-vaxxer. Mm. Um, I don't know if Emilio Estevez is an anti-vaxxer, but he, I think he I mean, said I his, quote was, his quote was, I'm not anti-vax i'm anti-bully oh, make oh, that what you will fucked. i heard someone the other day say i'm not anti-vax i'm massively pro body autonomy and i'm like yeah right. you're right. a fucking bellend that's what you are yeah so i so, love yeah. you tried to be conservative then and we both just went fucking yeah. bellend absolutely <laughs> i respect that um but yeah so 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 that's that's no, fair enough get rid of him yeah gone. <laughs> Cancel him. Oh, if only Ryan Murphy were anti-vags. But I imagine he's... <laughs> I imagine he's... he's oh, do you know what? He's, he, he flies a good flag. He's just... He just fucks me off. <laughs> Brilliant ending, done. He just fucks me off. What a way to end the news yeah, section. That is the perfect ending. <laughs> I think we're done at this point. Um, shall we get on to this week's reviews? Uh, and first up this week, we have Crime. On BritBox, you've already heard about this one from the people involved, so you don't need to hear about it again from me. Uh, this Irvin Welsh drama, oh, I will dear. only say, as you might expect, coming from Irvin Welsh, is extremely Scottish. Uh, isn't it, Boydie? It is. Um, it stars such Scottish greats as Dougray Scott, Ken Stott, uh, Jamie Sives, and the entirely non-Scottish Angela Griffin and Joanna Vanderham. Um, now, I, my experience of watching this show I was trying to write notes as I always, as I do. I do believe it or not, write notes on the things we we review. My experience of watching this show is I haven't, by the way, had a chance to listen to Beth's Beth's interview. I'll be fascinated to hear what they say. I I went through all the emotions, all the kind of feelings, all the critical faculties, and I don't know what I think of this show yet. I've only watched that one episode. I for first of all, I thought so, and I haven't read the book. Um, and I, I just assumed, because I've read quite a few Irving Welsh books, yeah. 
And I, I kind of assumed so. Irving Wells, it's called Crime. It's a. It's, you might it's need a, to Google, by the way. Well, of course, yeah. I was Google exactly. It is. It's. It's a. It's a cop. It's a police thriller. But then I thought, well, it must be. It's obviously like a deliberately kind of taking an askance view look at the genre, or twisting, satirizing the genre. Maybe I don't know. I just thought I kind of assumed because of that title and because Irving Welsh, you know, isn't known as a crime writer. He's not a genre. You know, he writes what he writes. So, but then you start to watch it. And certainly to start with, it felt like a fairly conventional crime TV crime thriller, albeit quite a bold one because it is dealing with it's dealing with paedophile serial killer. Um, it's dealing with the abduction of young of a young girl. That's the thing that's driving it on. It's got, as you say, it's got a lot of classic Irving Welsh language of all different kinds. It's got a kind of moody, slightly stilted voiceover. I have to say, maybe deliberately or not, um, but. So then it started fairly, it fairly kind of normal crime thread, albeit quite edgy. And then it did get a bit weird. Then there's lots of kind of stuff, semi-satirical stuff about, you know, the, 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 the woman being in the middle of all these Scottish doofuses. And it touches upon that. There's some weird moments with Dougray Scott's character, who is the lead detective, having like moments of existential crisis. I was thinking of Beth all the way through uh, that. Like, Beth's like, can't you just be having a good time? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and those moments, those moments are weird. They're just slightly weirdly conceived and directed and whatever. Yeah. Um, but interesting. I mean, inter- I was never not. I was never bored. By the way, I should just get that out of the way. Um. But it feels like the whole thing is pulling between being a pretty normal crime thriller of the genre and being an Irving Welsh thing that's going to be different and going to have fantasy sequences or at least kind of like things trying to trying to explore the mind, show us the mind of this troubled, he's a troubled cop. And the troubled cop is obviously one of the greatest cliches known to man. So it's funny, after reading that article, which I mentioned earlier in the podcast, unless James cuts it out, about, um, <laughs> about how there are so many crime thrillers on British TV at the moment, this is just, oh, this is a weird one. Yeah. But I think it's constantly kind of banging against itself as to how different can it be. And then I read up a little bit on the original novel. I think the original novel was set in Miami, the, the, the guy he's fleeing yeah. to Miami, and yeah. he happens to bump into a, a, a paedophile ring there, and that brings back memories. So he's definitely changed it a lot for this adaptation. But it's just odd. And my main takeaway from it is, I don't know why I think of it really. <laughs> and normally I'm very clear one way or the other, but I, I found it peculiar and, and sometimes peculiar, sometimes quite 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 straightforward um but it's a weird thing yeah <laughs> i'm just laughing at, i know was, it I don't was know what peculiar yet straightforward what bits of it are do you know what it i mean like yeah yet not. there I mean, you go listeners <laughs> yeah, it was both straightforward and peculiar yeah. and boyd's not entirely yeah. sure what he thought of i didn't it. love it i didn't hate it <laughs> i think it's interesting it's a thing that exists it's a thing boyd that exists. <laughs> yeah that is my considered review this week Beth, you are I'm, amazing i'm sensing the expert now on this tv show uh, so please explain it to Boyd and indeed myself. Well, so it's worth mentioning it's set in the same world as Filth, which was adapted into a film with James McAvoy it in was. it. Um, very kind of bent coppers. Um, and Do Grace Scott's character Ray in this is is a lot more straight laced. There's they've ditched all the surrealism and things from Filth, where James McAvoy is talking to a tapeworm played oh, by yeah. Jim Broadbent. I yeah. think there's something that yeah. happens in that. It's very surreal, very heightened. Like, you know, obviously that's, that's Irving Marshall's whole thing is, is heightened and bolstered by drugs and booze and whatnot. And that is severely lacking in crime. Um, so yeah, so, so Degree Scott, he's Ray, he's, he's 
he's not okay in the <laughs> no, <laughs> you're right. No, he's, he's not. absolutely not okay and has these moments of existential dread which are linked to um an event in his past which, you know, will become very it doesn't even need to happen in the next episode. You can basically work out that something really terrible happened to a young woman in his life. But what really irked me about this show is he has these existential moments when there are details and and it's very gritty and very detailed um, to the point sometimes where I think it's unnecessary where they go into the real nitty gritty of the crimes that are being committed. But it's he has them when they're discussing the details of the victims and the links and what's happened to them. They pivot to Ray and Ray not being able to cope with the details that have been. And it just takes instantly takes any credit, any spotlight, any focus away from the victims and plants it solely on him as a character and how he's processing it. And he's the protagonist. That's how we're seeing it is through his lens. But I think it's a little bit irresponsible to take away when they are talking about Mm. these horrendous things that have happened to these women, pivot straight to him and what a hard time he's having over these these horrific things that have happened to these women. It just, it pivots to him in a very male-centric way, which is, again, you're watching an Irvin Welsh project. That's inevitably what's going to happen. I've yet to see him really tackle women and I will say with this the dialogue of the women in this isn't great it's not good there's there's a um so Angela Griffin plays Ray's sort of new beau in this they're they're kind of getting to know each other they've been on a few dates I think but there's some strong feelings there and there's a scene where she's in a bar with a girlfriend discussing the relationship <laughs> and it's fucking dreadful it's like Watching extras in like Cold Feet from the 90s or something, only they're talking and it's just garbage. It's really, really, <laughs> it, it belongs to a different decade. And I think this could have been a really good chance. I'm not saying that, he, you know, this is not me crying for Irvin Rush to become woke for the love of God. That's not what I mean. But it's a chance to reinvigorate, to kind of realign to the climate, maybe think about, I don't know giving the women something to do. And there is a, a female character in this who is beginning to hold her own, but because he lets her, this is the other thing. So she's she's another invest... Um, is, she, is she an investigator in this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's DS Amanda Drummond. Yeah, yes. Joanna Vanderham's character, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's there with him, but she's, she's allowed to thrive because she's given permission to thrive. She's not got a whole amount of kind of inbuilt integrity in this. Um, and so, yeah, I was just... I felt a little bit let down in that respect it's got a lot of energy to it um it's definitely making a conscious effort to be more straight laced and and more kind of true to that genre but i almost wish it was a bit more balls to the wall to be honest Mm. i guess that just because the subject matter is so sensitive because it is dealing with the abduction of of a young woman which happens in the opening episode um in the opening scene in fact it's maybe trying to be a bit more somber, but its focus is all over the place, and and because of that, it didn't just didn't work for me. It has got a moment in it which really I thought you know because there were you know there were literally articles talking about how there are too many crime dramas where the naked corpse of a woman is shown gratuitously, and this has have within the first what 10, 15 minutes the naked corpse of a woman in the kind of subplot about these two tourists that that killed. Do you know that bit? Yeah, yeah. no, she's in bed with a naked man. But nevertheless, you know, I felt that was unnecessary. The the way the camera showed, you know, that, the, the naked woman and all that, and I was reminded of all those complaints um, again because you know, Mary of Easttown had 
a, 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 the body of an egg world, but they dealt with it in a very in a very specific she way. She had a whole arc in yeah. that first episode. So, but yeah. that, but though, that I seem to recall in that first episode that was something we bumped on in Mary Town. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah, there, there are issues with the shot. I mean, they're almost. You know, it's, I mean, it must not not be issues because it's this it's 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 dealing with a lot. It isn't is, it? It's and it's over Welsh. It's provocative. It's yeah. controversial. That's that's his entire career is built on that ability. It's like um, Brace and Ellis kind of thing that they yeah. really yeah, do right. drive in to provoke by describing something bloody horrible. But you know, at least there's integrity behind Trainspotting and things. I just feel like, yeah, I just feel like the focus was all off here. It's a big old production. I mean, you know, with the, that cast. Um, the director James Strong directed Broadchurch and Vigil. Um, you know, it's got it's got like proper people involved. James, <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. They're actual humans involved in making this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I know. I know what both of you mean about this. The dialogue. Some of the dialogue choices were very odd. There's a part where, you know, when they're talking about this serial killer, that Dugray is kind of insistent that he's he's going to talk about, and he leans across the desk and goes, "And I'm not going to try a Scottish accent. Don't worry. No, please, thank God for that. This guy is pure." Unadulterated evil. Oh yeah, yes. And I was like, yes. Yo, this is a piss take. Yeah. Like, that feels like a spoof. Like, what is that? What does that even mean? Like, you know, he's a paedophile serial killer. We get it. Yeah, That's yeah. definitely not a yeah. person we want to hang out no. with. But that just felt really unnecessarily like overegging and dramatic. And um, you know, there were moments of this where you know I was quite drawn into the abduction case. Like, I wanted to know what happened. I was less interested in the lead detective like again his issues and again exactly as you said beth like when she's talking about him to her friend and she's like oh yeah it's a really stressful job but he really keeps it together he's not stressed at all <laughs> and then he flashed to him like in like an aa meeting like yeah. having a breakdown and you're like this is not subtle is it <laughs> yeah that was a funny idea i like thought but but that's right a funny idea slightly ruined marred by the dialogue not being in, good enough yeah but also like it's a funny idea if it's played in a show that has a comedic edge and a lightness of well, touch it was to definitely it. trying to be funny but, in that, in that. but this is an incredibly dour show like yeah. it's a show that opens with his comic mate his his mate where well, they're punched by a bloke they're trying to apprehend and ends up falling on a spike in his ass. So it is yeah, true. It has comedic, yeah. like all over in Welsh that stuff, it has big true. comedic kind of, yeah. that's yeah. part of the... I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't forget about that. Was there another joke? That's almost recall... slapstick. Yeah, then yeah. he sits in the thing and he keeps hurting his, yeah. his bum. Yeah. That's, I don't, I don't slapstick. jokes after that. <laughs> um, jokes. Though again, that the, the, the scene we were, both, we were all talking about is essentially a comedic idea. It, yeah. it might have been played for last. I'm not sure well, that's what they achieved Not for the first time, you don't know whether it's played for Yes, absolutely understand the I can assure you it was Oh, okay, good to know. Yeah. Um, was it was it terrible? No. <laughs> Am I going to watch more of it? Also, no. <laughs> yeah. I might. I might. How much of you? How many episodes have you watched? I watched two. Okay. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. that's where my journey with yeah. crime ends. Okay. And then talking about how hard it was to Google. Do you remember when we were talking about this and we got running around in circles because you thought I was yes. talking about American crime story? Oh my god, story. it was painful. It was painful. I was just yeah. talking about crime. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, the laughs we have. <laughs> <laughs> Which, True. by the way, speaking of, the Witcher chat has started on the WhatsApp group, and I do. Yeah, scary. There was a time when Boyd couldn't work the calendar, <laughs> our Google calendar, and James was explaining <laughs> it to him, even though they were going to meet and discuss it in person. And God, do I miss those heady days of the of the WhatsApp chat oh, now dear. that the Witcher chat has yeah. started, and I yeah. don't understand we're anything that's going up on. For season two, Beth. No, no. Oh, it's good times. Oh, the, the absolute nonsense words and names. I couldn't. I couldn't. 
I couldn't make sense Geralt of it. Of Bring me back Rivia. To, yeah, no. I want the G Cal days back. Yeah. <laughs> You've been so sidetracked by now by Geralt of Rivia that you forgot to say when crime was on, by the way. Yes, in case I have no, I'm just gonna sum up by saying <laughs> I'm gonna quote Governor Ritchie from the West Wing and simply say, Crime, boy, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Crime lands oh, on Britpop on Thursday the 18th. Uh, Aha! <laughs> <laughs> next up, next up, we have Netflix's adaptation of Cowboy Bebop, which sees John Cho as bounty hunter Spike Spiegel, who hunts down ne'er-do-wells and turns them in for cash. Uh, this is an adaptation of the hit anime, so clearly I understand absolutely nothing about it. But that doesn't matter because we have the world's leading authority <laughs> this is on ridiculous. all things animation, Bethany Webb, <laughs> to tell us all about it. I love it. Said what? I liked one animation once, and now it propelled me to you queen of anime. You had a slightly open mind, and now <laughs> you shall forever be associated. I mean, I watched, I watched some of this at uni. I watched. Um, maybe some of the first season of this. And I think, I mean, I do sometimes stir at some adaptations, live adaptations and think, why God, right? I mean, we're never going to see the Akira live an- action animation at this stage in spite of people like Taika Waititi being linked to it. I think Zac Efron is going to be in it at some stage. And I'm glad that that never came to be. This, I'm actually really pleased, has um, come out. So I think just because for people who don't like animation and I'm looking at two of them, <laughs> this really does bottle everything that's really, really wonderful about the show, which is it is cult. It is canon anime. Like it it really is one of the first things that people were saying that, you know, if anime heads, um this is this is often at the top of a lot of lists. It's just fun. It does really fun thing with genre. It's very propulsive. It does interesting things with animation where it kind of literally sometimes like pushes frames and kind of works in that way it was really really groundbreaking um obviously it's it's dated now it came out in the 80s i think but you know a lot of it has has kept well and there's a really faithful adaptation of that that we're seeing in this uh john cho is spike spiegel as you said this kind of bounty hunter who's got this wonderful romance with um, another bounty hunter called jet black who's played by mustafa shakir who we've seen in things like Luke Cage um, and something else recently as well I'll come to it um, but they're kind of this double act to bounce from um, it's like Chewie and Han Solo basically they bounce from from planet to planet kind of collecting bounty looking for a, a coveted doll for Jet Black's uh, little girl is one of the missions so it's all good fun but lots of of sort of weaponry and and there's a sort of underlying plot where there's a young woman who's on the run who's pregnant um who's got her own story as well um but it does a really good job of just bottling everything that's great about the anime it's propulsive there's a wicked score on it as well this really chaotic sort of jazz soundtrack um but the key for me was in the casting and the casting really comes through John Cho I love John Cho I think he's made some really great sort of film choices recently and in this it just pivots on his charisma um and his physicality as well it's really nice he's got this really quite kind of wiry frame um that translates really well into an action hero that's also a bit of a scoundrel again coming back to the Han Solo um metaphor here but um I think he's great in this I think he's absolutely wonderful um and there's some really great set pieces the world building's really wonderful it's all stuff we've kind of seen before like kind of an eastern take on dystopia 
but it worked really well for me. Really fun, really silly at times. Really wonderful rapport between the two of them. The characters were really interesting. Really enjoyed it. I have questions. Okay. So as a professor of animation at Oxford <laughs> University, <laughs> I would like you to explain to me. So this felt to me as uninitiated animation or anime noob as I am, it felt like it might be like a shot for shot remake. Like, because the framing and the positioning and every shot of this, basically this felt like a fucking cartoon. Yeah. And, and that annoyed me. And that's one of the reasons right. I didn't like okay. it. Okay, I thought you so, would go either way with you. It felt like a cartoon. Right. Like everything about it felt like a cartoon yeah. because it didn't feel like live action because it had that ki- slightly heightened animation vibe to it. Just in the way the characters spoke, in the dialogue, in the way the shots were composed. Which is why I asked whether it's shot for shot remakes. It felt the composition of the shots felt very animated. But there's a bit where one of the characters asks something, and instead of just like you would normally get a facial expression, he goes, hmm. Which is a very cartoon thing to do because you need those vocal cues because you don't have the the intricacy of of, of animated features and a lot of these things, um, and it, and it, that kind of thing kind of bugged me a little bit. And the action sequences, I didn't feel like we weren't at John Wick levels of choreography, but again, they felt like they were potentially shot for shot lifted from the anime, just in the way they were composed. I don't know if any of this is true. I am absolutely making this stuff up but that was the impression it gave to me so right. all the way through it's like you know i love i love a science fiction show sci-fi bounty hunters count me in but it felt too much like a cartoon so it reminded you too much of what you don't like about a cartoon that you haven't watched <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so classic. you don't like the show that's an accurate summation right. i didn't hate the show i didn't hate it i actually well, how could you when you haven't seen the thing that is supposed <laughs> yeah. to be mimicking hey, but as a, as, a, as a thing in and of itself like i i enjoyed the casting in it i enjoyed uh john Cho. i thought he was very charismatic there was a lot of fun there but i i found it kind of hard to get invested enough to persist I mean, there was no bebop in my cowboy. Is I guess what I'm saying. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I mean, frame for frame might be a stretch, but it certainly adopts definitely the camera movements. You know, mm. it's like a sudden zoom and in. And there's a shot a of a face. coin which he flips on the air, and yeah. I thought you could 100 percent believe this is exactly what it yeah, looks like. Of course, in and the some anime. of the the dialogue might as well be in speech bubbles, like some of the stuff that they they come out with. But I think the delivery it it comes down to the casting for me. Um, and I think the delivery and the, the it, it pivots. Listen, I'm not even going to try and change your mind. <laughs> I think that's, I'm just realizing what I'm trying to do is convince you to like this, and you're just not going to. I, I, I'm, I'm not writing it off. I'm right. I, I will no. instead refer you to my learned colleague Boyd. Uh, what did you make of it? Um, right. So I I know what James means to the extent that this has it's visually spectacular. And, very, and kind of loads of super slow-mo fighting and violence um, and explosions. And like the opening set piece kind of in action sequence is, is, is brilliantly done. But it does feel slightly contrived in that way of, well, I mean, I wasn't actually, th- I, I actually completely forgot about the whole anime origin of it. I just wanted to watch it, to watch it like a normal human being. Take it, for, for, <laughs> take it, it is what it yep. is. And it is, and I thought, oh, well, this is very, it looks beautiful. It's, it's spectacular. It's lavish. Um, it's Tarantino-esque, I felt, you know, very much in, ter- in the kind of the way, the tone of it, in the kind of like ultra-violent, but, you know, jokey, and the way the characters behave and what they say. And I've no idea whether that goes back to the anime. I don't really care. Um, so I took it on, on face value for what it is. And I agree with John Show carries the thing brilliantly. He's great. The, t- the, the two lead, lead are, are fantastic. But you know what? In the end, I did feel it was like so empty. I thought it was completely empty. Like I didn't, I know it tried a little bit. It's trying a little bit by the end of the first episode to give you a 
kind of emotional connection between John Shu and some of the people he's going to be involved with in these adventures, in these like um, bounty hunting, the escapades, people from his past, the women from his past, etc. But I felt it was like, it was like, you know, Kill Bill, but with all the kind of heart or any, any attempt at heart that that film has. And I love Kill Bill, volume one at least. Um, removed or not not there enough in this first episode so it felt like glib and slick and all those things and spectacular it looks like it's a vast amount of money spent on it classic netflix you yeah. know, per episode budget but yeah i wasn't convinced i have to say i wasn't quite convinced i don't think it's i think it's trying so hard like for every shot to be spectacular yeah. and the jazzy score which is great and the yeah the title sequence is all kind of it, it's it's really heavily um, I don't know, like visual. It feels like it's only previs kind of thing. Yeah, Go, which maybe taps into your point about you know, is it just is it just frame for frame for the animation? I don't know, but it did feel contrived. I feel I didn't. It just didn't feel like had a natural flow to it. Okay. So even though, like you know, the thing about Tarantino stuff is now, um, you know, actually, you know, his dialogue incorporates all kinds of weird and wonderful, quite emotional undercurrents. Whereas this felt like one of those. I keep banging on about it, that. Just is what it reminded me of, like his kind of tone. That loads of people have been trying to ape for years, and um, and I have no idea whether the original anime has that or not. I'm, I guess it probably does its own way, but that's what I couldn't get away from, and it just didn't feel in any way soulful, despite John Chu doing absolute best to give it some of that yeah. soul. Well, I respect that argument a lot more. Than- <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Right. Well, that's told me. Um, <laughs> if you want to see a live action show that feels like an animation, <laughs> then Cowboy Bebop drops on Netflix on the 19th of November. Finally, this week, we have The Lost Symbol, which once again puts Dan Brown's insufferably smug <laughs> academic... Center stage. This is an unbiased uh, introduction. <laughs> As Robert Langdon is faced with, yes, you guessed it, an obscure occult mystery that sees him running around heritage sites spouting obscure facts about dead civilizations. Boyd, tell us more. <laughs> well, um, first of all, Robert Langdon, in the, so this is confusing, right? I got, I'm sure I got an email from when this was announced, or at least when it was, you know, a, about to arrive on Sky or whatever, saying that it was like a prequel to the to the Tom Hanks films. Because he's younger, yeah. obviously. It's played by Dan Zuckerman, who you'll recognise from Succession as being the dude that kind of had an affair with Shiv. Um, handsome young man, but a bit annoying, a bit of an annoying twat, frankly. Yeah. I mean, obviously has to be, he's in Succession. Um, so he is 37 years old. Um, I don't know how old Tom Hanks is right now, but he's definitely older than 37 and was when he made yes. the bloody Da Vinci Code, etc. Right? Um, but it's not a prequel because it's taking place in the present day. You know, they've got the latest iPhones, how they, yeah. that's how they communicate. Yeah. But I don't think it's a period piece, but I think in the chronology of Robert Langdon, I, okay. I, 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 I haven't read The Lost Symbol. Like, it obviously came out after The, the Da Vinci yes. Code, I think, but I, yes, it may be it set before The Da Vinci right. Code. Angels and Demons, I think, was written before The Da Vinci Code <laughs> oh, and may also gosh. be set. But I don't know what the... Right. And Inferno, right. who the fuck knows? Yeah. So I don't know what all of this... But presumably sure. this all happens before he became, you know insufferably smug international jet-setting mansplainer that he is. <laughs> yes, although having said that, he's still already an insufferable mansplainer even in, in, this, in this first episode of this series. Um, it's, it, it, uh, do you know what? I, was, I do find the Dan Brown... I found the, Dan, the Dan Brown films are so terrible that they are entertaining, <laughs> oh particularly the last one. Inferno. Oh, Inferno's the opening of Inferno. Right, if anyone hasn't seen it, I'm sorry I've strayed into the films, but you, you have to... Gonna ha- you've you got have it, to. you've got it. It is one of the most batshit... <laughs> 
mental bonkers openings to a film ever, and it is ludicrous. Yeah, it's preposterous. Yeah. The opening of that film, and actually, the opening of this series is—I uh, for a minute I thought, oh, it's a little bit infernoy. The openings are completely random yeah, people yeah. in 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 a, in a jail in Turkey, I think. Um, and you're like, what the fuck has this got to do with anything? And eventually, the end of the first episode, a connection is made by an FBI agent, but. So, so you know, I think um, I think Ashley Zuckerman is a great guy. I, it shows you that Tom Hanks. I mean, there's a reason they cast Tom Hanks in this role because obviously he's the most charming person in the universe ever, <laughs> and he and he just about manages to infuse yeah. the character with some kind of humanity. But in this, I'm not sure if Dan Zuckerman. I'm sorry, not yet. If I don't think if he has managed it yet, he has to say lines of dialogue like. Any further explanation of the grid would require more context. That is an actual line he says to the, to the psycho. To the psycho who's on the phone. He's having a chat with the psycho who's like explaining, I'm going to kill all these people. I'm gonna, I've kidnapped your best mate and played by Diazard. And that's what he says. Any further explanation of the grid would require more context. And, and like half the things he says are like that. And he's obviously he's he is the professor of symbology, um, and he's constantly explaining to everyone who anyone who listen FBI agents, fellow <laughs> students, the the wife, the daughter of Eddie Azard who's been kidnapped, that he's the one who knows what that circle, that square means. And it's it is. Do you know what? I think there's a fundamental flaw that Dan Brown novels, and I have read, I read the Da Vinci Code, right, so to see I. what the fuck the, the 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 whole thing was all about after it'd been out for years. You know, I was just like, oh, let's have a look what this what the fuss is about. And you can see what the fuss is about because there is a pleasure. They're propulsive. In the way he, they're propulsive, but also the puzzles and or, and his and the symbological moments, however the word would be, are laid down in such a way as you can focus it yeah. on the pa- black and white on the mm. printed page. Yeah. You can immerse yourself in it and take time to, to and try and understand what the fuck he's talking about. Whereas on screen, it doesn't work. It just fundamentally does not work. <laughs> so he's witching on to everyone about, well, that's there and this is a square and that means that and this is, there could be a portal there and, but maybe there isn't a portal and, the, and everyone's going, because like, this is also it's internal just, monologue, isn't yeah. it, in the book, whereas he has right. to just say, it, say it out loud. It yes. just does not work. It's not. It doesn't work with. It's believable. It doesn't work. It's not interesting. It's boring. Frankly, I mean, I must say, yeah. there is when I, I watched him pontificate endlessly about stuff that nobody cares about, and I did feel seen. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you should be cast. <laughs> you should be cast. You might be able to make him feel more human because he's closer to the real you. Maybe I don't know. That's but brilliant. I. I mean, to be honest, I think Eddie Izzard is the best thing in it. So even, you know, from what I've seen so far, I only watched the first episode and I always like Eddie Izzard in everything. Um, you know, Hannibal, mm. great in Hannibal. So it, that casting, that casting decision alone is one of the best things the producers decided to do. Despite the regrettable ponytail. But yes. <laughs> oh, the ponytail is, is terrible, obviously, but, you know, fair enough. But believable, yes. I feel like accurate for that character, who is, um, who is what's his name's... Um, his mentor, his Robert mentor, Langdon's mentor. Robert Langdon's mentor. Um, so, and, and I like the bonkers psycho as well. This isn't a whodunit, because you meet the bonkers yeah. psycho within the first half of an hour. Yeah. The bonkers psycho, who's, who's a tattooed guy, yeah. who's also kind of like yeah. a superhuman ninja. Yeah, a bit yeah. like, a bit like, like um, Paul Science Bettany. of the Lambs. Was it also Paul Bettany, oh, Paul Bettany in... in, yeah. in the Vinci Code. In the Vinci yeah. Code. A bit like the Science of the Lambs um, villain, central villain. Um, what, Jamie uh, Gunn. Buffalo Gunn. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of elements of all... I mean, the whole thing is like elements of everything that you've ever seen. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't hate it. I, mean, I said that. I've been saying that. I've said that about all the shows this week. I didn't hate any of them, really. But this one was the one that was like... You can... I, I think there was another way. I think the big floor, they must have worked, should easily have been able to work out a way of visualising yeah. his pontificating, <laughs> yeah. his pontifications. <laughs> and they did not, or at least they have not so far in the first episode. Think about what they did in Sherlock. You know, Sherlock has to, you know, 
shall not explain stuff all the time. But yeah. how brilliantly, you remember how yeah. brilliant they did that and very yeah. groundbreakingly. He also yeah. had a mind the palace. The mind, but the way <laughs> yeah. they did the mind palace yeah. was brilliant and beautiful and, and visual. This, it's like they felt, oh, we can't do that because they did it in Sherlock or something. I don't know. But they, but what they have done is absolute but bullshit. There's <laughs> a moment in this where he is facing imminent death from something and he stops saying, oh, yeah. well, this is clearly from the Sumerian. <laughs> yes. That's what you're literally about exactly. to die. Like, exactly. shut up. It is cretinous. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I like this a lot more than you two did, but I'm, oh, I'm like enjoying the two of you absolutely ripped. No, I mean, I quite shreds. enjoyed it as well. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not as. as a, For two people that really hate. <laughs> Really hate this. You've certainly known your stuff. I did not hate stuff. it. I've, said, I've, I've literally said I did not hate it. But like, as in, you've read it all. I mean, I read the Da Vinci Code, and then my whole family and I went to see Da Vinci Code at midnight. I went to midnight wow. screen, and every single one of us fell asleep for the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fall asleep oh, film, wasn't it? Up, like, oh shit! <laughs> not just because it was late. <laughs> a bit of it was yeah. late, and and yeah. it was Da Vinci Code. But then I guess my main issue with this. Is is that it is a Dan Brown thing? Mm. I think everything else about this is good, apart from the fact it's a Dan Brown story. <laughs> but I actually quite like Ashley Zuckerman. I think he's quite, um, yeah. It, he has to work with annoying text and essentially be a really annoying character. But he does imbue it with a bit of vulnerability. There's some stuff in the second episode where he's not okay with being in closed spaces. They have to. I don't. I don't really know what it was, but it's sort of a contraption that they ride. To safety, him and um, Valerie Curry, who plays Peter's daughter, his mentor's daughter, Catherine, who of course they've got some romantic entanglement. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's 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 not okay in this confined space, and she has to essentially just put her hands on his head and kind of calm him down. And that was quite a nice humanification of of this character. Um, I really liked Rick, Gonza- uh, Rick Gonzalez in this. Uh, he plays just he's just a, a police officer who's in the wrong place yeah, at the wrong time. I wondered, I'm sure he is, but I like watching this, I thought he, he had the feel of a character who may or may not have been in the books, but they need someone else for him to explain to. Yeah. So they just put him in so he's not just explaining to the CIA person. But then he but, does a really good job and he calls him out on a shit every chance he gets. He's so funny. I, I yeah, can I like obviously him. relate to that mm. a lot, you know. <laughs> well, he's you in this <laughs> equation. So who's Boyd? So Boyd Langdon, you're the comedy security guard. Boyd, who are you? Um, I don't know. I think I'm probably... You're I the like... mentor. You're, yeah. you're Eddie Izzard. You're Eddie Izzard. Yeah. Right, okay. Sounds okay. ponytail. I could be Eddie so, Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. But I liked him in this. He's he's very good at being like, oh God, I'm, I'm going to go have a lie down now, actually. He's, he's quite nice at being kind of that every man in this absolutely fucking bonkers nonsense situation that they're in. Eddie Izzard, I thought was wonderful, is this mentor who actually, you know, gets to play a little bit straight for once, which is quite nice to see because he did, they, they do that very, very well. Um, yeah, my main issue with this is it's a fucking Dan Brown show. Everything else, <laughs> I, mean, I really like the performances. There's no small issue. I mean, it's, got, it's, it's so it's Dan Brown. It's literally called it's Dan Brown. Yeah. Yeah. It's it could simple. not be more Dan Brown. <laughs> but I was thinking of it because I I had to review Eternals or something recently. Again, we're just going off into films, but it's, it, it's with a point. And the thing I liked least about Eternals was that it was a Marvel film. I really liked everything else about it, apart yeah. from the fact it was a Marvel film. And it's <laughs> kind of a big butt. And it, it is the big butt. Hence the comparison, yeah. 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 <laughs> but with this, I, I like everything. Everything about it, like the performances, I like the characters, I like what these performers bring to these characters. Um, I quite liked the, the, you know, there's a big performance piece that sets everything off into motion, and that is, you know, pretty sad and and sharp and plays out really well. You see it happening on Rick Gonzalez's 
character's face before you see what's happening and that's really cool um yeah it's just it just when when everything is having to be explained a myriad of ways to people in layman's terms and then not layman's terms as well you know he's having to explain it almost twice once for us and once to the person that gets it um is really annoying and <laughs> i just don't want to see any more of that <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were championing this show Hang about on. five minutes ago Hang on. Yeah. yeah you started this yeah. with, well i like this a hell of a lot more yeah. than you two <laughs> both like got your fangs in and no, just no, no. ripped I, it from I the think it's funny. Do you know what? I think it's entertaining. I think it's entertaining. I think the, its flaws are funny. You really could have fooled me. Sorry. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I did quite enjoy watching the experience of watching yeah. it. To be fair. Yeah. Um, it's just that I think it is amusing. It, it's flaws. Those. Those. And what you know? What I also thought was it's 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 got ad breaks. Like it's got very. It's clear, even though it's made for the streamer for Peacock. Yes, yeah, so it's Peacock original, but it has the whiff of yeah. network. Oh, about the I whole think thing. it was originally commissioned for NBC mm. itself. So but it has it feels like could, a network. Oh, show. But there's even like you know how cheesy the way and for some reason British dramas <laughs> manage to work in ad breaks or write to ad breaks much better than the Americans do in my yeah. you know that she's kind of it builds up to a cliffhanger within the museum and then cut to a break and then back and they're just still in the museum about yeah. five seconds later yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, something yeah. really awkward about it yeah, it's um, so it has all that that kind of feel to it that you know procedural which you hate of yeah. course feel to it it's like it is like a, it is like a um, epic um, Dan Brown procedural and not necessarily in a good way. Because it, it doesn't have the sort of glitz and glamour of some of the shows that we are now, you know, whether it be your cable shows, your streaming shows, or some of the shows that are not so networky. Like, it yeah. feels slightly regressive watching yeah. this To as watch well. this alongside Cowboy Bebop well, is oh, like, yeah, totally. yeah. is, is Which is crazy. weird, isn't it? Considering the settings, like the settings are of it should be spectacular. Mm. You know, the, the, the where, you know, the museum, what's it called? <laughs> the museum in Washington. It's a big museum. Um, it's I don't a know. big museum. Is it the Smithsonian? It's the Smithsonian. Know. It is the Smithsonian. <laughs> yes. You know, these are spectacular. And it has very, and it has shots of, you know, external shots of Washington TV, Washington DC and stuff. But yeah, but you're right. It doesn't use, it, there's something away. It's filmed and directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who made Ten, whatever it's called, <laughs> Ten Million Cloverfield Lane. Ten Million Cloverfield Lane, I was going to say. <laughs> ten Million Cloverfield <laughs> Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is a really good film. I yeah, love that film. It is good. Um, but he's done a very, this feels like a very kind of by the numbers um, direction and, and cinematography and everything. Yeah, for a, for a big, you know, presumably a big, fairly big budget. Why wouldn't it? A Dan, a Dan Brown thing. It probably, you know, it's bound to do well on one level. He's got mm. loads of fans. So, yeah, I was, I was surprised by how unlush, visually lush it is, really. Yeah. Well, <laughs> should you wish to watch it regardless, uh, Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol comes to Sky Max on the 18th of November at 9pm. Uh, other things that are out this week, Boyd, of course, lest we forget, yes. The Wheel of yes. Time. Your lands, Wheel of Time. The Wheel of Time lands on Amazon Prime or Amazon Prime Video or Prime Video or whatever the official name for that channel yeah, is, and well, I'm not funny, entirely sure. Good point. I'm glad you brought that up because I've had a few emails from people saying they now want it to be called Prime Video. Yeah, they want it to be called Prime. They want to drop the Amazon yeah, and just be called Prime yeah, Video. What's that about? What I don't know. About? I'm confused. Yeah. But anyway, it's on Amazon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the 19th of November we've seen it we can't talk about it but we will do so next week uh, what other things are out Boydie Riverdale is back you know oh, that I mean Riverdale, this is a show yes. that we've never really talked about no, very much but it's a massive I think as far as it I can is. tell phenomenon back on Netflix on Friday um, they have, this is one of those shows they have to show weekly because it airs in America yeah. weekly and they, they 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 you know acquire I think it's on its sixth season now um, you know that whole universe is Hugely popular, 
Um, so that's back. I, according to Heat Magazine, Star Trek <laughs> Discovery, Discovery is back. <laughs> on Netflix, not. On Friday night, but apparently not. It isn't. I yeah. can tell you that exclusively. So that's great. <laughs> right, I put that in um, for no fucking reason. Work in Progress was a, is a comedy that's back. It's a very interesting comedy, actually, dealing with a lot of with gender identity and sexuality and stuff. That's back on Sky Comedy now on Wednesday, the 17th. Okay, those are the other things that are out. You didn't mention Tiger King, Boyd. Oh, fuck, you're right. Well, Tiger King is back. Sorry, let's do that again. Yes, and the big main spread, funnily enough, in Emacs is Tiger King 2 is on Wednesday. Um, and we, no, I don't think anyone's seen this uh, because it's quite, quite controversial. Carol Baskin hasn't taken part, if people know the whole Tiger King saga. Um, yeah, she's, yeah. I think she's not sue, happy that she's been she? used, footage of her is being used, and basically because in series one they did bring up the idea that she had been something somehow responsible for the disappearance of her ex husband. Right. So um, she's not happy, uh, but you know, Tokyo is one of Netflix's biggest ever, obviously factual phenomena, and it'll be interesting to see how they what they do with that. Is there a theft element to this story at all? Um, not. I don't know. Why? What do you mean? Because well, otherwise they could have gone with the subhead for this Tiger King two. Baskin's Robin, and I would have really liked that. Oh my God, oh. I mean, I was like, where is this going? <laughs> yeah, and bless you, you tried to yeah. answer the question. Yeah, as I well. did. Yeah, I'm, I'm naive. I am. Yeah. 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 That's brilliant. Like wiggling on yeah. this. Uh, this isn't the Empire play. podcast. <laughs> well, no, we don't have wrong. you know That's really contrived puns. Prestige being yeah. a pilot. Yeah. Bring that yeah. nonsense That's over classic. here. That's classic. That is classic. I apologise. <laughs> no. Um, pick of the week. Oh my God. <laughs> He's he's a good question. He said nervously. That is a really good question. I don't I know. Really, what are you going to get? Yours for crime is just a shrug, basically, was your, yeah. was your review. Um, uh, well, mine is obviously Cowboy Bebop. I'll fly yeah. that flag. Do you know what? I think it is probably as Cowboy Bebop, yeah. <laughs> because even though I found it empty, but it's still it's really beautifully. It's beautiful. It's brilliantly done. It's yeah. got, yeah, no, Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. I, I think... <laughs> If you pinned me down, wow, what a great week me to watch another episode of yeah. one of these three shows. Yeah, I might choose the symbol just because it's nonsense. Yeah, and it is there's nonsense, something yeah. quite you know delightful about that also, level of nonsense. But... Have the stretching out to how many episodes? I think uh... too many. Definitely yeah, too, too many. many. <laughs> too eight. Many. Eight. I don't need no, eight, hours, eight hours. hours. No, I take out. it back. I take it back. I don't need any more of that. No, hard pass. Well, well, that is it <laughs> for this Star Trek and Wheel of Time free episode of the Pilot TV podcast. Uh, despite the absence of those two shows, we would appreciate a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and you can find us, as ever, on social media at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. And we can promise, actually promise, that the Wheel of Time, at least, will definitely feature on next week's show. Though, when on earth? We're going to see Star Trek Discovery, what's going on with it, whether it's ever going to come to the UK. I really can't say at this point. So, you know, bear with us on that one. Uh, Hawkeye lands on oh, Disney yeah. Plus next week, too, which is exciting. Um, we'll definitely be watching it again. I don't know if we can talk about it because I don't know what the embargo is on that. So, you know, we'll find that one out next week. And of course, a new MCU show does also herald the return of Empire Spoiler Special Podcast and more importantly, the Empire MCU Fanfare Orchestra. Uh, so you've what? got that to look forward to as well. I love the way Beth's like, what's that? Yeah, like, Beth, Beth, someone who has never listened yes, to the uh, I mean, clearly the showing I, I, I has have. never How listened. How sad is that? To our yeah, I know podcast. what he's talking about. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. Take, well, on, nice take on advisement. Yeah. We do. We do our own yeah. musical renditions of the MCU fanfare before each episode. 
Oh, that's quite sweet. They have been done on kazoo. They have been done on guitar. They have been done in the manner of Owen Wilson. Uh, (laughs) They've been... Talking of which, I genu- I'm genuinely excited. I know this is ridiculous to actually listen to the June spoiler special, which, uh, you know. Oh, it's up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's three hours long. I mean, of course it is. Yeah. I'm yeah. surprised it's not longer. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm, I actually, will actually listen to that because I did love, did love the film. Yeah. It was yeah. a giggle. I enjoyed yeah. doing that yeah. a lot, as you can well imagine. <laughs> Have you recorded this week's Empire podcast yet? Uh, no, I wasn't on this week's Empire oh. podcast because I was Ditch, trying in... to navigate right. communication problems with an Uber driver in Leeds. Yeah, so of course. Yeah, I was, I was unable okay. to appear. Fine. But uh, I feel we just we just sort of wandered into a kind of digression here. So we should probably say the podcast is over. So <laughs> all of you should feel free to leave now and do other things. You know, take take your headphones out, turn off your phone. You know, just go out and do something else. Um, bye. Pilot's out. (laughs) Bye.